This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. It's War of Will, who's taking charge in this final fairgrounds for one for Tyler Gaffleone. Pulled clear from Maniwa. Hungry Kessel is staying on. Who's cover bay between horses? They're close to home. It's War of Will. Runs out impressively in the Lecomte. One by four. Down to the final 16th of a mile. Believe you can for Rosie Napravnik. Believe you can. Believe you can in the summer day. All the way. Believe you can. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Frisian Fire in front for Gabriel Saez. Down to this final fairgrounds furlong. And Frisian Fire pulling away with a plum from Papa Clem. Between horses, terrain runs on. Soul Warrior and Giant Oak on the outside. Frisian Fire sweeps the free roll series at the fairgrounds. Mucho macho man. Gary Stevens hand riding him at the eighth pole, 10 lengths in front of the field. Bernie the maestro about to be joined by Joshua's comprise who takes second behind the comeback performance by Mucho Macho Man in the Sunshine Millions Classic. Now here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. This, of course, the show that launched a network, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you spending your Saturday morning with me once again on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you are accessing your podcast. It is bitterly cold in many parts of the United States on this Saturday morning, and those chilly temps have led to cancellations at racetracks from the Northeast to Arkansas. But here's a thought that may warm you up just a little bit. The first Saturday in May is now just 105 days away, and today marks the first of nine consecutive weekends on which we're going to see at least one Kentucky Derby points race. The LeCompte Stakes at Fairgrounds this afternoon is going to offer 20 qualifying points to the winner. But if you want to be the horse wearing the roses at Churchill Downs, history says you're better off settling for a minor minor award later today in the LeCompte. Two horses have run in the LeCompte prior to winning the Kentucky Derby. Neither of them won that race. War Emblem in 2002 was fifth in the LeCompte. And Mandaloon in 2021 was third in New Orleans. So if you don't walk away with the top prize today, don't be discouraged. Every owner and every trainer uses the phrase, this isn't the ultimate goal when they refer to their horses at this time of year. And they're right. It isn't. The ultimate goal is 105 days away. Today is a starting point a stepping stone. The road to the Kentucky Derby, it's not like college football where one loss can cost you a chance at a championship or 
for all of our Florida State fans out there, zero losses can also cost you a chance at a championship in that sport. Horse racing ain't like that. The NFL is probably a much better comparison to the Derby Trail. A loss or multiple losses doesn't prevent you the opportunity at a Super Bowl or even to make the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers have both advanced to the second round of the playoffs this weekend. Both of those teams lost nearly half of their games during the regular season. But once you're in the dance, that's all that matters. None of what happened earlier in the season counts, if you will. It all starts fresh. Everybody has zero wins, zero losses. And think about this. Of the the thousands of horses to compete in the Kentucky Derby over the previous 149 runnings, only 35 have failed to lose a race prior to getting there. 35 undefeated horses in 149 years. And of those 35, only nine have been able to exit the Kentucky Derby with their unblemished record still intact. I didn't do the math on that. I didn't go back and look at all the horses that started in the Kentucky Derby in the past 149 years. But I promise you, that is not a big percentage. So, much like this weekend's NFL playoffs, perfection in horse racing is extremely rare. And it's very much unnecessary if you want to achieve greatness and you want to be the horse to be forever remembered as a Kentucky Derby winner. It really doesn't matter. And I think too many times in in today's world of instant gratification, retweets, likes, shares, whatever, we get caught up in looking at teams and at horses through a very narrow lens. Instead of stepping back and looking at the entire picture. A team loses a game one week, they suck. That same team comes back and wins by 20 the following week. Well, they've obviously turned things around. They've figured it out. It is very much a roller coaster when you're a fan of sports and even of horse racing. Very much the same for horses who make their way to the Kentucky Derby over the next 105 days. If a horse comes out and wins the LeCompte today, by 10 lengths, all of a sudden they're anointed as the horse to beat on the first Saturday in May. That same horse comes back in the next start and fails to hit the board. Oh, cross him off the list. It's what have you done for me lately. It's like that in sports. It's like that in horse racing. Kevin Kirstein, who handles publicity for all of the CDI tracks in Kentucky is going to be with me coming up in a few minutes at 8.15 Eastern. He's going to talk about the third Kentucky Derby future wager pool that takes place this weekend. And I'm going to ask him about his philosophy when it comes to trying to find a horse that he likes in the futures. Does he agree with me that you can't get caught up solely on a horse's most recent performance or maybe even their last couple. And I don't even think you can start looking at what they did at two as a surefire sign of what they're going to do on the first Saturday in May. Mage, look at last year. Mage came into last year's Kentucky Derby with one victory. His record was one and two. One win, two losses. He had a losing record coming into the Kentucky Derby. But the beauty of horse racing is that doesn't matter. Just ask 
Rich Strike, what he thinks of that. Mind that bird, what he thinks of that. Just get to the big dance, and you have a very real chance that dreams can come true. You just got to be in it. You got to be in it to win it. It's that simple. You don't have to win every game, and you sure as heck don't have to win every horse race leading up to the Kentucky Derby. There are no undefeated horses in today's LeCompte stakes. Florent Giroux is going to be aboard Nash. He's pretty good. He's not undefeated. One for three. He's 5-2 to two on the morning line for trainer Brad Cox. You're going to hear from Florent. He's going to be with me coming up at 8.35 Eastern later in this first hour of the program. Jockey Joel Rosario, he's aboard a pretty good one too. He's aboard the 9-5 to five morning line favorite track Phantom for trainer Steve Asmussen. And you're going to hear from Joel. He's supposed to join me coming up right around 9.20. And I say supposed to because he just flew to New Orleans last night. And he will be here at some point, whether it's 9.20, 9.10, 9.15. Stay tuned. He'll be with me in the second hour of the program. And looking forward to that conversation with one of the top jockeys in the sport today. Actually, two of the top jockeys, Florent and Joel. John Green of DJ Stables is hoping that Can Group can prove that he belongs with this type of competition as he returns to the main track in today's LeCompte Stakes. Can Group, a graded stakes winner, on the turf, competed on dirt in his first two starts, both sprint races, closed some ground, didn't run poorly, didn't win. They put him on the turf, he wins. Then he becomes a graded stakes winner in the Bourbon Stakes at Keeneland. Then he runs a pretty good race, closing fast in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf at Santa Anita. He has plenty of ability. Not sure his running style is going to translate to the main track like it would on turf. Typically in grass races, horses that come from off the pace do pretty well. You want to save ground, you want to sit, you want to relax, and you want to finish. That's turf racing. Dirt racing is much more about speed. Being in the hunt from the start certainly helps. Having tactical speed certainly helps. Not that closers don't win races. We see it all the time. But they're always at the mercy of the pace in front of them. So Can Group likely to need some help from the horses on the front end to set it up for his late kick later today. But you're going to hear from John Green in the final segment of Hour 2, right around 9.35. He'll talk about going down this road to the Kentucky Derby again as an owner. He was there with song and a prayer. What, 23 years ago? (laughs) Yeah, and he's looking to get back there with Can Group this year and trainer Mark Cassie. Again, John Green comes up right around 9.35. 10 o'clock Eastern, it is time for the Twin Spires Triple Play. Ashley Anderson begins the third hour of the show with me to give you three races you can keep an eye on later today. 10.20, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And at 10.30, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin will both be with me to talk about some of the hottest topics in the sport today. My poll question this morning, let's keep it simple. Who is your pick to win today's LeCompte Stakes at the fairgrounds. I'll give you the morning line favorite track Phantom. Second choice Nash. And let's throw Can Group in there. Since I'm going to be talking with John Green. Let's throw Can Group in as your third choice. And the fourth choice is Other. If you choose Other. If you think it's somebody other than those top three. Please comment and let me know which horse you think is going to win that race. Track Phantom. Nash. Can Group. 
and other if you think it's somebody else. Who is your pick to win today's LeCompte Stakes at Fairgrounds? You can go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to weigh in on that poll. And if you don't do social media, no problem. Email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net, and let me know your pick to win today's LeCompte Stakes, and I'll try to pass along those results later in the program. All right, when I come back, we'll talk more about the Derby Trail, Derby Futures, and I'll do it with Kevin Kirstein, the publicity manager for all the CDI tracks in Kentucky. He's next. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free past performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Tenda Equine and Pet Care Products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Fierceness grabs the lead. Muth right up alongside. General Parker gets way and is back into third. And they're into the stretch. And it's Fierceness and Muth. The two of them turning for home with Fierceness in front. Fierceness is opened up here to a two-length lead. Muth is second. Then Timberlake down the outside. But it is going to be Fierceness and John Velasquez. Oh, they're running away! Fierceness, a powerhouse win! And then it was moved, the late pose from Block. Timberlake was fourth, but what a Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna with you on this Saturday morning, and plenty of conversation about the first Saturday in May to warm up many of you who are dealing with those chilly temperatures across the United States. And that was Larry Colmas with the call of fierceness winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It was a victory that has made him, as of now, the horse to beat going into this year's Kentucky Derby. He opened as the favorite in Kentucky Derby Future Wager Pool number three, which is taking place this weekend. You can bet that at TwinSpires.com. 
And Kevin Kirstein handles all of the publicity for the CDI racetracks in Kentucky. So he is locked in and ready to go for this year's Kentucky Derby and Derby Future Wager Pools. And he's with me now here on HRRN. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you on board. And, man, I, I said this at the top of the show. I just mentioned it kind of briefly there. But it is chilly throughout much of the United States. And the just the thought that the first Saturday in May is just 105 days away is enough to warm me up, isn't it? Uh, well, considering it feels like negative 11 degrees outside <laughs> right now here in Louisville, uh, I think anything with the thought of Derby is going to warm me up. But uh, hopefully it's uh, – you know, beggars can't be choosers. Maybe it'll feel like 90 degrees warmer than it currently is right now in Louisville. Yeah, a couple of points races taking place at the fairgrounds. It's not going to be super warm at the fairgrounds either. High is only supposed to be somewhere in the in the mid to upper 40s um, this afternoon there. But you have the LeCompte Stakes for the Derby, the Derby, uh, the Derby Road, and you have the the. Silver Bullet Day for the road to the Kentucky Oaks, both of those points races that will help horses get into the starting gate on the first Friday and the first Saturday in May, respectively. Talk to me about what we're going to see later today in the LeCompte. You know, I'll tell you what, it's it's going to be a compact field in the LeCompte, but it's really, you know, an important race because as the road to the Kentucky Derby prep season marches on for the next few weeks, the races are going to increase in points, and so we started this this year where it used to be just 10 points for the winner. Now the LeCompte's going to add 20 points for the winner, and the idea was to incentivize horses to run in more of these prep races where you have a great series down at fairgrounds, starting with the gun runner, then you go to the LeCompte, the Risen Star, and, of course, the Louisiana Derby to cap things off at the end of March. And, um, you know, it's this this race is going to be a, a complete showdown between Nash and Track Phantom, who faced one another last time in the gun runner nash was bet down to a heavy favorite that day and, and disappointed he finished third to track phantom uh who really had his coming out party in the gun runner stakes can track phantom repeat that performance or can nash rebound from that loss horses are allowed to lose but uh nash certainly is going to need to improve off of that race so it looks to be a, a stellar matchup between those two uh you have a new shooter in ethan energy coming into the race a, a maiden breaker and lat long just to name a couple of the horses in that race so uh, you know, that race goes as race 13 today at Fairgrounds, 7 o'clock Eastern time, and 20 points will be uh, awarded to the winner of that race on the road to the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, Track Phantom Nash, you use the word showdown when referring to those two, and I think it's appropriate, but I, I think it's far from a, a two-horse race. Uh, can group for DJ Stables, I mentioned that John Green's going to be with me coming up about 9.35 Eastern time this morning, the owner of Can Group. He's a horse that, look, he's a great stakes winner already. He did it on the turf. If he can transfer that form to the main track, who knows? There's a horse that can make some noise this afternoon. And it's a perfect example of, you know, why not try running back on the dirt? This horse ran on the dirt at Ellis over the summertime and, and really showed a, a new affinity when he switched over to turf for the Mark Cassie team and, and have to root for, you know, DJ Stable and the Green family. You know, they invest so much into this uh, this industry and, um, you know, they deserve a, a horse with some accolades, especially on the dirt pointing for the first Saturday in May. And, you know, if this horse can, you know, hand, switch over from that turf form over to the dirt, you know, who knows? Maybe he can be the new player on the road to the Kentucky Derby. So it's a, it's a great field down at, at the LeCompte, and it's really setting up to be a stellar risen star next month down at Fairgrounds. It seems to me like with with all sports today, 
It's what have you done for me lately? So the horse that wins the LeCompte today, especially if that horse wins impressively, is going to be bet down in the Derby Futures, pool number three taking place this weekend. I mentioned you could bet the the Derby Futures at twinspires.com. Kevin, it just seems like there's so much emphasis placed on what have you done now? Instant satisfaction, instant gratification. Do you have to step back, though, and look at the bigger picture when you're playing the Derby Futures? Well, I, I think absolutely, and this is my favorite pool as a gambler to uh, play the Derby Futures, right? So we have six pools in total. This is the third. The first two we ran back in November. The first one was prior to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile before Fierceness uh, really became the, the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. And then you had the one that ran at the end of November over Thanksgiving weekend. So this is the first pool within seven weeks. So you have some horses that are pretty forgotten about just because they haven't made their three-year-old debuts yet. But they're planning to in the next couple of weeks. And so once they make those debuts, and especially if they win their three-year-old debuts, you know, the betting is going to reflect that in pools four through six. So this is a pool that really, you know, gets the attention of horses that haven't ran yet, that have shown some form as a two-year-old, or maybe that caught your eye as a two-year-old. And that's what makes it so competitive. I do want to mention there is now 38 individual horses now in this pool. Uh, drum roll per Please, who was the number 12 horse, was reported yesterday that he was injured in a workout at Belmont. Uh, he is off the Derby Trail now, so he the wagering for him has been suspended. So 38 individual horses plus number 39 for the all others that we haven't included in this pool. But, you know, top to bottom, it's a very competitive uh, group, and it, it took us a while to come up with this field uh, for Derby Future Wager Pool 3, but a great gambling opportunity because some of those horses aren't the now horses, as you mentioned. Do you have a minimum threshold in terms of the number of uh, the the price on a horse that you will take at this point in the game? You know, at this stage, I'm probably looking at, you know, in the 70 to 1 range. There's just so many things that can happen. You know, just like yesterday, a perfect example, Drumroll Please, who uh, looked to be one of the favorites via the New York circuit on the road at the Kentucky Derby, winning the Jerome as impressively as he did, and now he's off the trail. And so you're sitting on this money for the next 15 weeks, So, uh, you know, I want to get in the 70 to 1 range. But the other thing that you can do as a gambler is look at the exacta pools and the exacta will pays because horses that may be shorter odds in the win pool that you may not want to back may not be a bad idea to back them in the exacta pools. And you can get that full exacta grid on twinspires.com. And I like on Sunday at 5 o'clock, it's sort of like the witching hour as it is in the NFL on Sundays uh, on the red zone. You, You sit down and you look and, you know, do a little bit of math to see what the horse's odds may be in the exactas compared to the win pools. And it's a great tool to get some value there where it may not be in the win side of things. I'm glad you bring that up. I was going to ask you, if I'm somebody who really believes in fierceness, and I think he's going to be the horse to beat on the first Saturday of May, assuming all things being equal, that he gets there. He opens at 8-1 to one in this third future wager pool. What do I do with him? Can I, can I play him straight at 8-1? to one? Is that value? Or do I have to hook him up in exactus? It, to me, I'm hooking him up in exactas, right? I mean, it's a you know a long way away until the first Saturday. May a lot can happen. He hasn't made his three-year-old debut, even though he's working regularly down at Palm Beach Downs. It's supposed to work this morning down there for the Pletcher Camp, and so um, you know I'd look to maybe find a couple of long shots that are in this field that maybe uh, are going to offer some value. And those will pays, of course, are available on TwinSpires.com, where you can check them out, and uh, you're going to get more value than the eight-to-one would offer in that wind pool. Now you need two horses to make it there. But you need to make it there, and uh, you need them <laughs> you to, need uh, to run well. To, to round that's, out the exacta. Yeah, that, that's my point. It it is such a 
a high-risk wager, but it can be a really high-reward wager, too, if if you get it right, which is why I tell people just have fun with the future wagers. You don't have to you know, make your big derby bet on the future wagers, although if you do and you're right, you're going to you know, you're going to walk away with a huge, huge score on the first Saturday in May. But just have fun with it. Hook them up in a few exactas and and see if you can't be right. I think don't don't you think, Kevin? That's a big part of it. Just being right at this stage. As a gambler, you always want to be right. You know, no matter <laughs> yeah. what, if you're playing the horses, you know, I want to be right. If I'm, you know, having a, a bet with my wife or something like that, you know, I want to be right. Uh, but it's more fun when you have the action. Of course, you know, if you're alive on Derby Day to, you know, some big balloon payouts and these future wagers, it makes the other wagering that you're doing that day a lot more fun, a lot more interesting, too, because you can sort of hedge your bets a little bit, or you can really double down on what you have already in that future wager. So it leaves you, uh, you know, some some fun puzzles to do on Derby Day. I remember being alive, you know, the last couple of years, and, you know, you sort of think, okay, do I play pick fours and, and single this horse, or can I go, you know, deeper in the Derby just because, I have that back action in the future wager, but, you know, again, the third of six pools, so there are going to be three more, uh, you know, pools to sort of bet this wager. And, uh, you know, of course, there are going to be horses and, and looking at horses that are going to be a lot bigger prices now than they could be in the next 15 weeks. And horses that are currently trained by Bob Baffert will be included in those future pools when they switch trainers, correct? They will, yes. So right now, any horses that are trained by um, someone that's suspended from running in the Kentucky Derby, i.e. Bob Baffert, they're included in the number 40 interest in the all-other three-year-olds. And so uh, you have all those horses that are there, and then you have some horses that have maybe shown some form. Um, you know, for instance, like in the, in the Smarty Jones, the third and fourth place finishers in there, didn't quite make the cut for our pool, but they're included in that. So there's some value of those horses in that all-others pool, Uh but, of course, the betting will reflect that. It'll be, you know, going off as the favorite as it normally does around this time of year. But, again, find the value of the all others maybe in the exacta pools, and you can get a bigger price than you would if you bet them straight up. Give me a couple horses that Kevin Kirstein is looking at in this Derby future pool number three. I'm really interested in Real Men Violin for Kenny McPeak, who's working regularly down at Fairgrounds. I thought he ran a good race. Um, at Churchill in the Kentucky Jockey Club. He's going to be big balloons. I'm going to watch his horse, his price, uh, probably pointing towards the Risen Star. And then you have Stronghold for Phil D'Amato, who at this time, he looks to be the top three-year-old in California, not currently trained by Bob Baffert. And I thought he ran his career best race last time out in the low South Futurity, where he stretched out for two turns for the first time. Uh, he's going to have to improve and get better um, facing some of the better horses that I think are based on the West Coast. But He's a horse that I think can run his best races around two turns, and so he's going to be some big balloons. And then one other horse uh, pointing towards the southwest that was rescheduled uh, for February the 3rd is Liberal Arts for Robbie Medina, who won the Street Sense, was a uh, a layoff on purpose after the Street Sense, gearing up for the three-year-old campaign. Uh, You know, great interview with him on on Trainer Talk here. and uh, He's a trainer who's been there. He's been there before. He knows what to do with these three-year-olds, and this horse, I think, is going to offer some value. So those are three horses I'm going to look at. Uh, it closes this pool Sunday at 6 o'clock Eastern time, so I'll probably make those wagers between the 5 and 5.30 range because it's paramutual. You don't get those final odds if you would bet it today. Uh, so could take a look at those odds on Sunday and uh, see what you would get closer to that close at 6 o'clock. Yeah, Robbie Medina was fantastic this past Wednesday. Trainer Talk presented by Fazek Tipton, which 
I, I host every single Wednesday at 6 Eastern here on the network. You can go back and listen to the podcast on our website. I appreciate you saying that, Kevin. I'm glad you enjoyed it. He's a he's a really fun dude, and I, I you know he's easy to cheer for, isn't he? He's so great, and he's so down to earth too. Like he he likes to talk to anyone, and, and you know he says a, a great uh, you know aspect of you know how it it takes to be successful in this industry. So uh, a great guy, and uh, I'm hoping for the world for him because he uh, is truly deserving of a horse like this, and uh, has been there before as the number two guy in line, but would like to see it as the number one guy now. How about on the ladies' side of things? Do you have your eye on any fillies making their way to the Kentucky Oaks? You know, it's tough at this stage. I think the Phillies are more wide open than the the Colts at this point. I'm really looking to to see what happens in uh, today, the Silver Bullet Day down at Fairgrounds. Uh, you know, the Oaks pool will run uh, concurrently with the fifth future wager pool. So, uh, you know, we have a little bit of a ways to uh, to wait for the three year old Phillies. Um, so I'm really thinking that the Oaks picture is a lot more wide open than the boys are at this stage. So uh, keep an eye in about oh six weeks or so, and uh, I think there's going to be some Phillies in that Oaks future wager pool that are uh, going to offer some value there. But uh, really looking forward to see what the Fairground series has to offer. It always seems to produce some of the top Phillies this year, and I think uh, we're going to see that once again this year. One of the great things about Oaks and Derby Day is not just about those two races. There are several big turf races that take place on those days, and the turf course at Churchill has been in the headlines this past week. Um, it has had a few issues um, since being installed in 2021. It, it was a new turf course that met with rave reviews right off the bat, and then things kind of went south. But the team at Churchill has been working diligently to get things back on track. Give me an update on the turf course there, Kevin. Yeah, I'll start off with nobody wants this turf course uh, in better condition than we do here at Churchill Downs. We are, uh, you know, we're working diligently, um, you know, to try and, and fix the, the issues that we had on this turf course. Uh, you know, during the fall meet, we just sort of found that the ground was just loose beneath the horses. And so uh, we called off turf races. We brought in a team of consultants to work with our track superintendent and our team here at Churchill Downs. And uh, we did several processes here uh, at the beginning of the new year to uh, try and uh, help the roots. So we found that the roots, you know, with the loose ground, they weren't sort of attaching to the soil. So we did a process called dryject, which aerates the ground and uh, blasts the soil that's in the ground and and adds a, a different compound to help the roots, which are growing into the ground, just make them hold on to that ground a little bit better. Uh, use some different cutting methods after that to uh, try and uh, help uh, the, the grass and, and the roots grow even more. And uh, we reseeded it, and now we have solar blankets that are laying across the, the turf course to help promote the growth earlier in the year uh, than it would be as the seasons here in Kentucky are sort of a little bit wonky. It's, you know, negative 11 degrees with the air temperature today, but next week it's going to be up into the 50s. So hopefully uh, these solar blankets will help uh, promote some more of that growth uh, leading up to the the first week in May, and uh, you know we invested more than ten million dollars in this turf course, and we're going to get there. We're going to get it right, and uh, for for everyone, the horse players, the horsemen, uh, it's going to get there, and we're looking forward to uh, getting it ready and and completed for the first week in May. One hundred five days until the run for the roses. It is less than that until we get to the Churchill Spring Meet. That is a thought that should warm you up on a chilly Saturday morning for many of our listeners across the country. Kevin Kirstein, Kevin, appreciate the visit as always. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again the next few weeks, but uh, good luck at the windows this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike, and good luck to everyone. All right, buddy. Kevin Kirstein, the publicity 
manager for all of the CDI racetracks in Kentucky, does a tremendous job. And as you can tell, the guy knows his derby horses, doesn't he? Um, great stuff from Kevin. Appreciate the visit there. Coming up next, it is time for your Legends of the Turf, and then I'll turn my attention to jockey Florent Giroux as he talks about not just the Lecomte stakes, but his mounts in all the stakes races at fairgrounds later today. Stay with me. That's all ahead after your Legends of the Turf. In early October of 1920, midst full pastel resplendence of early fall, some 30,000 racing fans gathered at Kenilworth Park in suburban Toronto, Canada, in eager anticipation of the much-ballyhooed match race between Sam Riddle's Titan of the Turf Man of War and the 1919 Triple Crown winner, the first ever, by the way, Sir Barton. Man of War was regarded as virtually invincible in many racing quarters and was an overwhelming favorite amongst those in attendance to defeat Colonel Ross's superb four-year-old. The distance was one and one-quarter miles, the first 75000 plus a $5,000 gold cup. There had been a modicum of controversy generated among racing fans when Earl Sandy, the regular pilot aboard Sir Barton, was replaced for this particular race by Jack Keogh. Commander Ross, the horse's owner, felt Sandy was not riding in top form at that time. The rider aboard the immortal Big Red was his customary rainsman, Clarence Cummer. As a matter of fact, Colonel Ross had first call on Cummer's services, but he deferred to Cummer's wishes in allowing him to ride Riddle's horse. Colonel Ross said, quote, my action is taken without any prejudice to Sandy, and I am only exercising my right as owner of Sir Barton. The two horses answered the call to post and paraded before the stands looking absolutely fit on their way to the gate. Man of War looked about nonchalantly as though this were an ordinary occurrence. Henry Morrissey was the starter, and he waited until both champions were perfectly ready. Then he sent them on their way as the webbing flew up and to the huge roar of the vast throng, the race that was billed as, quote, the race of the century was indeed underway. Sir Barton was well away, and he took the lead for the first 16th, but that was all. Man of War was quickly given his head by Cummer, and he shot by Sir Barton to establish a clear lead as he went the first quarter in a rapid 22-3. and three. It was Man of War by two open lengths and still somewhat in reserve by Cummer as he hit the half in 46-2, and two, three quarters in 111-2. and two. Keogh wrapped Sir Barton a couple of times with a stick but could get no more out of him as Man of War coasted into and on around the turn, coasting while galloping freely with those long, smooth strides for which he had been well noted. By the time they hit the top of the stretch, Man of War had opened up to a three-length advantage after clocking a mile in 137-4. Cummer glanced back at his rival who was struggling valiantly while fully extended but not closing a single inch of ground. Man of War was just breezing along in synchronized motion and continued to increase his margin, cruising to the wire a winner in smashing fashion by an open seven lengths. The final time was 2.03 flat, and Cummer later said, quote, It was about as easy a score as Man of War had ever chalked up. It was the lope for the last quarter. Had he wanted to, he could easily have gone a couple of seconds faster. It was far faster than I expected, and I knew Sir Barton had no business with Man of War after we had gone the first quarter, end of quote. But Sam Riddle was his customary modest self after the winning effort of his stalwart, and Commander Ross, the losing owner, was among the very first to offer his congratulations. It all happened on a resplendent fall day in a beautiful setting at Kenilworth Park in suburban Toronto, Canada, October of 1920. A truly great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. 
Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafards Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario-sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, point of entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. As these leaders come toward the top of the stretch, it's Midnight Bourbon as Mandaloon is poised on the outside as they come past the quarter pole. Three quarters and one minute twelve point twenty three seconds. Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon as the millionaires match strides with one furlong to go here at the fairgrounds. And Mandaloon has a slight lead to the battling Midnight Bourbon. Then toward the inside is Warrant in third. Sprawl is fourth. Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon battle to the line. Mandaloon and the Louisiana Stakes over Midnight Bourbon by three quarters of a length. Warrant was third. Spa City, Sprawl, and Pirates Punch was last of the section. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, taking you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. That was John Dooley, John G. Dooley, if you will, with the call of Mandaloon, winning the Louisiana Stakes in 2022. It was a third consecutive victory in that stakes race for jockey Florent Giroux and for trainer Brad Cox. That win streak snapped last year when Happy American won the race under James Graham for Neil Pesson. But uh, Brad and Florent looking to get back on track and back into the wind column later today with 8-5 to five morning line favorite Saudi Crown, one of several horses that Florent will be riding in the stakes races later today in New Orleans. And he's with me now here on HRRN. Florent, good morning, my friend. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to, to see you out there today in, in all of these big races. Since I just mentioned Saudi Crown, let's go ahead and start with him and start with the Louisiana Stakes, and then we'll kind of jump around and talk about some of the other horses. But, you know, Saudi Crown is a horse that really came on in the second half of last year. Tell me more about him. Yeah, actually, it's a horse we always liked um, uh, at the barn. Uh, took him a while to, to get him started. He got a little bit of a uh thing you know coming down when he was a two year old just growing and stuff like this so he started uh at Kinan in airport and uh never had a bad day really you know always been working good but kind of he was behind the eight ball you know which concerned you know all those like three old uh, races um early uh in the year but he caught up with them uh 
by the summer and, uh, and the fall. He hadn't run a bad race until he got to Santa Anita and the Breeders' Cup Classic. Prior to that, he had run five times. He hadn't been worse than second. His two second-place finishes, he was only beating a nose. So he essentially um, was right there in all five races. Breeders' Cup Classic, things didn't go his way. What happened that day? Well, I think there's a few things. You know, uh, first of all, the very fast pace uh, didn't work out for me or uh, Arabian Nights. And uh, second of all, and I think the most important, was the distance. It was a minor quarter, which I think was way too far for my horse. Uh, I just think he's probably a horse who's between a mile and a mile eight max. But I think further than that, it's uh, really uh, asking him. But at the time, he, he won some big races, you know, going a mile eight. So the race was there, and, um, you know, it was a wide-open race, you know, uh, coming into the race. So... Uh, but and the owner uh, decided to take a chance, but we always knew down deep uh, it was a big concern with with the distance, and uh, it proved us right uh, after the race. Florent, you know better than anyone what you have underneath you every time you get a leg up aboard Saudi Crown. His running style is to be on the lead. That's where he's had his most success. So when you when you get into the starting gate, are you thinking? boy, I better get a good break, I better get to the front, or I'm going to be in trouble? Or do you have confidence in the horse that if things don't go perfectly at the break, that he can settle and sit just off the place and still run a good race? Yeah, no, like you said, you know, he won on the lead, but I think there's a horse who's, um, who's also manageable. The first time uh, at Kinon, he was off the pace. He was laying like third or fourth, I remember. So, I mean, it's not like a horse who just wants to go as fast as he can for as long as he can. Uh, he's a smart horse. We walk him behind the horses in the morning. He's fine with it too. But uh, this race here a little bit more tricky, you know, with the horse outside of me who seems, you know, also really fast. Uh, the horse of Grand Foster. So we played by air, and like you said, you know, you can try to make up uh, tons of uh, uh, of scenario before the race. But when the gates open, uh, it's all different game. So we just need to play the break and try to ride a smart race and uh, see what happens. Do you have to be careful not to have a preconceived picture in your mind as to how the race is going to play out before you get to the starting gate? Because if things don't go that way, you're not prepared to handle it. I'm sure you have a plan A, B, and C, just like all the top jockeys, right? No, of course you do. But, you know, it's it's not a big field. So, And I know pretty much all those horses, you know, Next to me, I I rode some of them, or I I um or I run against most of them most of the time, so I have a good idea of how they react to certain things. So I think it's in a little bit of an advantage to uh, to be familiar also with the horses who uh, who's next to us. That's interesting. Saudi Crown has never raced at the fairgrounds, but he has raced at Keeneland, at Churchill, at Belmont, at Saratoga, at Parks, and at Santa Anita. He's never been on the same racetrack twice in his career. Um, this is a new one for him. Which which of those other racetracks I just mentioned, Florent, best compares to fairgrounds? Uh, maybe Churchill? Churchill down? Yeah? Long stretch, tighter turns. Uh, same type of dirt, you know, which is kind of like uh, tight and fast. It's not deep and loose like it could be in New York. Belmont and Saratoga is a little bit a deeper track, a little bit more demanding for the horses. Uh, I would say maybe uh, maybe Churchill Down or maybe Kinnon. 
Well, he handled those racetracks just fine, so you have to assume that fairgrounds should be no problem for him coming up later this afternoon. Florent Drew with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Flo, I asked the poll question today on our social media, and I asked our listeners to tell me who they think is going to end up winning the Comp Stakes later today. So far, 38% of the vote coming in for Track Phantom, and right behind him is Nash at 31%, which is exactly what the morning line odds say. You're aboard Nash, so tell me a little bit more about this horse. You've been on him twice now. He was third behind Track Phantom last time out in the Gun Runner. How do you turn the tables today? Well, I mean, uh, my horse has to step it up, you know, a little bit. Last time, that was his first time against the winner, and the, the time when he won, um, when he broke his man at Churchill, he inherited a very uh, easy lead, and from there, uh, he just cruised around there, so he was not very challenged. And he's a horse who only run twice, so he's not very polished. Uh, and uh, the other guy, Track Phantom, you know, he was four, four times, so he's a little more, little more experience. And I think last time he showed that at the end. Uh, we only got to be, be a few lengths, so I'm hoping today, you know, uh, he can improve, you know, a few lengths and hopefully uh, be the winner today. I said earlier in the show that any owner or any trainer would tell you, and probably any jockey that's trying to get to the Kentucky Derby would tell you that today's race, the LeCompte, is, it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal comes in 105 days at Churchill Downs on the first Saturday in May. So from your perspective, as the man who is aboard Nash or any of the young horses you're going to ride over the next 105 days, the, the Derby prospects, do you view yourself, Flo, as kind of a teacher working with the trainer to kind of help them get to where they need to be so they can peak when they get to Churchill Downs? Well, I mean, I think that's the idea, you know, especially when you work on those horses for quite a while. After that, you know, the trainer still decides, you know, I'm just the, the pilot, so I can't, you know, uh, have different hats, you know, play the trainer or the owner or whatever. At the end of the day, I'm just, uh, I just get paid to ride the horses. But at the end of the day, you know, I've uh, been working very closely with, uh, with Brad Cox for the few last past few years and also the team Godolphin. So if I can help them out, you know, and give them some pointer about the horses and help them out, you know, develop the horse, I'm gladly uh, doing it, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, the decision uh, doesn't uh, doesn't come from me. People started talking about Nash two starts ago, last November, when he broke his maiden and he won by ten. That was at Churchill Downs. You were aboard that day. What was was your impression after that race? Did you start thinking immediately, "This is my Derby horse"? Yeah, well, I was thinking about that before he ran too. <laughs> no, I mean you you have to uh, you have to to dream about those type of things. You know, you can't get too high on yourself because you know, uh, like I've said before, you know, uh, big deception uh, come from high expectation. But you need also to hope too. Uh, the horse was super well bred and top connection, and uh, he's been he's been always been working very good in the morning. So he's a horse, obviously, we always liked from the beginning, and uh, we thought he's a horse who's also gonna blossom, you know, at this time of the year, and also when the distance is going to be a little bit longer, like my 16, my 8 type of races, and hopefully a minor quarter for the uh, Kentucky Derby. But no, he's. I think he can turn the table today. I'm not. Uh, I was not too disappointed last time. If I got it 15 lengths, I probably would have been more. But uh, horse who only uh, 
Mendel and get beat, you know, also last, you know, couple of years ago in the, uh, in the, um, in the Lecomte and come back and win the Risen Star and end up, you know, running a great race in a, in a derby. So those horses are still, you know, in the uh, learning process at this time of the year. It's nice, you know, when they go all the way and they win by 10 lengths and they are undefeated, but even those guys, you know, they don't necessarily win the derby. So sometimes they, they have to take a loss or two to uh, to to learn things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that's what uh, my, horse, uh, my horse will do. When I reached out to you and I asked you to join me on the program this morning, I told you that I believe, and I truly do, that you are set up perfectly for a huge year here in 2024. And a lot of that has to do with that longstanding relationship you have with top trainer Brad Cox. What makes that relationship work, Florent? You know, we win, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that always winning, helps. Winning, winning cures everything. Winning, winning races, you know, that's the key. Uh, everybody is happy and uh, looks. everybody uh, looks smart, you know, and... Uh, Starting with me, um, no, just winning good relationship. Uh, started to ride for Brad, you know, when he, he only had a handful of horses, you know, when he lost uh, Big Honor um, Midwest Thoroughbred. I was even riding for him when he trained for Midwest because I win a lot of races for for them, and uh, no, always been riding for Brad, and he's just a. Uh, just a good person, and we just have a good uh, relationship. We we see uh, we see the the things the same way, and I think it helps a lot. You know, uh, when we can uh, when we win races or when we lose races, we can move forward faster for what's next. We know with the horses, and I think that that's key. Well, the Louisiana Stakes and your run to win a fourth Louisiana Stakes with Saudi Crown is race number 12. The LeCompte Stakes follows that as race 13. That's the final race on the program at Fairgrounds today. Prior to those races, you're aboard uh, uh, other horses and other stakes, including the Colonel E.R. Bradley Stakes, which is race 11, strong quality. You ride for another incredible trainer and good guy, Mark Cassie. Tell me more about strong quality. You've been aboard him a few times. Uh, strong quality is a horse I always really like. It's a very... Uh... Very, very nice horse. He's a very classy horse. I always thought, you know, he was definitely a stakes caliber. Uh, he run great in uh, in some of those, but uh, he needs to he needs to win one, and I think he's set up uh, set up good today to win one. Uh, even some like decent quality, a bit longer. He's been running on turf, on dirt. Uh, nice back on the turf. Which uh, he run some big races today. I believe that his first race uh, on the turf at the fairgrounds. He ran before at the fairgrounds, but I'm not sure it was on the dirt. Uh, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping he ran a big race. He ran good last time. Got beat by some pretty nice horses at the, um, at Auckland in the Tinsel. I want to ride him, sloppy track that day. But uh, no, I think he's a, he's a nice horse, and uh, I think it's a good race for him. I like the setup. I think he should run big. The other horse you're riding in the stakes race comes in race number nine, the Marie Krantz Memorial, and it's a six-year-old mare that you're not as familiar with because you haven't been aboard her as much as you have the other horses we already talked about, but it's Creative Cairo for Lindsay Schultz. You did ride her last time out. She was beaten just ahead that day, and she gets a rematch with that rival that beat her. Tell me more about Creative Cairo. 
Yeah, so Philia uh, discovered last time for the first time. Run a great race. Uh, got beat by the favorite just ahead. Uh, made the lead and you know, Philly passed me back, but there was a good bow all the way to the end. I felt like I had it before the wire and after the wire, so my Philly doesn't know she lost, only us. Uh, I'm hoping she can run a good race. So similar races, it's like a couple new ones there. Uh, hoping for a good setup uh, once again, and hopefully she, she can turn the table this time. Florent Giroux, 2000. 122 career victories on his resume coming into today's card at the fairgrounds. He's looking to add to that and looking to have a, a big year here in 2024. Flo, listen, I really appreciate the visit, my friend. Good luck later this afternoon and safe trip every time you get a leg up. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me again. All right. Great stuff from Florent Giroux walking through each of his mounts in those stakes races and you know, very candid and open when he talks about these horses and that relationship with Brad Cox. <laughs> I loved his answer. What makes that relationship work? And he said, we win. <laughs> yeah. If you win, you can have a great relationship with any trainer. And Flo wins his fair share of races. So good luck to him later today. You're going to hear from jockey Joel Rosario, who rides the favorite in, Le- in the LeCompte track phantom for Steve Asmussen. He's going to be with me right around 9.15 Eastern time. And you're still going to hear from John Green from DJ Stable. He, um, he is the owner of Can Group and the LeCompte, so all of that's still ahead, and I'll fill you in on everything when I come back. I'll get you ready for hour number two. Time for a quick break, and this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds, presented by Spendthrift with Bobby Newman. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, 
internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. No Kentucky Derby preps last weekend, but the Phillies were on center stage in the Busanda Stakes at Aqueduct. A field of five competed at nine furlongs for the $100,000 purse and the valuable Kentucky Oaks qualifying points. Demoiselle runner-up Shimmering Allure was sent off the four to five favorite, but she checked in a dull third behind the Brad Cox trainee, Jin Jin. The winner closed nice ground before eventually winning by a length, earning her 20 Kentucky Oaks points. Look for her to wait for the grade three gazelle at Aqueduct on April 6th for her next start. On the Derby Trail, we're getting closer to the 2024 debut of Breeders' Cup juvenile champ, Fierceness. He remains on schedule to contest the Grade 3 Holy Bull at Gulfstream on February 3rd. Last weekend, he worked five furlongs at Palm Beach Downs in company with stablemate and fellow Derby hopeful, Locked. Reports are they both look great. If things go well in the Holy Bowl, expect Fierceness to then aim for the Grade 1 Florida Derby on March 30th before a chance at the Roses on May 4th. He's currently the individual favorite in Pool 3 of the Kentucky Derby Future Wager, which closes tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. This week, the three-year-old Focus heads to Fairgrounds and the Grade 3 LeCompte. Track Phantom, Nash, and Ethan Energy look to be major players in the field of eight. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount, like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. His name is Excited about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breach-shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife, standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of derby contenders looks like this. Number five, Locked, the Breeders' Futurity champ, ran well when third in the Breeders' Cup. Looks like distance is his friend. Number four is Dornock. He was tenacious in his Remsen win and is pointing for the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream on March 2nd. Number three, Sierra Leone was extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen. Look for him to try the grade two Risen Star at Fairgrounds on February 17th next. Number two is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ is back working and planning for the Holy Bull at Gulfstream on February 3rd. And number one, Nisos, the Baffert trainee, will need a barn change to earn derby points, but there's no question that he's uber-talented. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Old segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm.
Well, I guess that conversation with Florent Giroux just moved the needle for many of you thinking about which horse is going to win the LeCompte Stakes at the fairgrounds later today because Nash has now jumped into the lead over Track Phantom. 39% of you saying it is going to be Nash defeating Track Phantom later today. Can group with 4% of the vote and 22% saying it will be somebody other than the top three. Laura chimes in on social media and says it's going to be Track Phantom. And Tom in St. Louis emails the show and said Nash will win the LeCompte and by May 1st, I think Ethan Energy will be the best dirt horse of the group. Can Group should stay on the turf. He's going to win a graded race on the grass this year if he stays on the turf. If you want to weigh in on the poll question, you can do it at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on our Facebook page. Or if you don't do social media, just do what Tom did. Email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, and let me know your thoughts on who you think is going to win the LeCompte Stakes later today. All right, coming up in hour number two, you're going to hear from trainer Robbie Medina, who, as I mentioned earlier, when Kevin Kirstein was with me, joined me on Trainer Talk for a full hour this past week to talk about his derby hopeful liberal arts winner of the street scent stakes at Churchill Downs. I'm going to bring you a a short excerpt from that hour-long conversation. You can hear the whole show on our website at horseracingradio.net. Jockey Joel Rosario set to join me right around 9.15 Eastern. John Green of DJ Stables talks about Can Group at 9.35. 10 o'clock Eastern, it is the Twin Spires Triple Play with Ashley Anderson. Three races you can keep an eye on later today. And at 10.20, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history before I get to Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin at the end of the show. 10.30 Eastern, I ask, they answer. We will debate some of the top hop the top topics, say that one, the top topics in the sport today. And there are several to talk about from this past week. We'll do that at 1030 Eastern time. I'm back with hour two, right after a 10 second pause for station identification. This is the horse racing radio network where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back, Hour 2 of 3. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning, 105 days away from the run for the Roses. Never too early to get some derby fever, and just the thought of that should warm up many of you dealing with the chilly temperatures across the country. I hope everyone is staying safe and staying as warm as you possibly can. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, my conversation with Kevin Kirstein talking about the Derby picture and Derby future wager pool number three, which is taking place this weekend. And if you missed Jockey Florent Giroux, great conversation with Florent. All you have to do is head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast of this entire program after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can listen to those interviews and you can listen to all of our shows on our website and on every podcast platform so however you access your podcast whether it's apple Podcasts or spotify or google or podbean whatever it might be make sure you type in horse racing radio network and follow along with all of our shows each and every week here on the horse racing radio network well i mentioned joel rosario coming up in a few minutes 9 15 eastern john green of dj stables 9 35 robbie medina Robbie Medina was with me on Trainer Talk for a full hour. Robbie talked about liberal arts 
and he discussed several different topics or different aspects of liberal arts's very young career. And one of the things that he started talking about was what the next 100 plus days are going to look like for liberal arts. I, I hope they uh, are really good. He's going to, he's going to run on the 27th at Oakland in the Southwest. And hopefully that'll give us a good stepping stone and, and God willing, get us uh, to the first Saturday of May. What led to the decision to take the Oakland route? Well, this year, uh, Mike, I have 10 stalls at uh, Oakland for the winter, and then the, the bulk of my horses are all at Lexington and the Thorber Training Center, where Liberal Arts is. So I just figured there was going to be two paths for him. If everything worked right, it'd be either Oakland or the fairgrounds made the most sense to me, those two places. And I just figured being that I'm going to have horses stable at Oakland, that's probably the best way. And in the last decade or so, you know, the Oakland route seems to be a pretty good route to go. Yeah, it's been a great route to take, and I can see why you would choose that direction based on past history. I think we need to point out that he is not at Oakland with you at this time. He is still at the Thoroughbred Training Center in Kentucky. Uh, talk about that, making that call and, and going that dis- direction. Well, there's a couple things, Mike. One, he's a very aggressive horse to train in the morning, and his rider is, is a kid there that gets it. It's been getting on him ever since uh, he, he broke him, since he was a yearling, and I just figured, you know, let's not change that because I'm not saying no one else could gallop him, but this kid gets along with him very well. So I didn't want to upset that apple cart. And he trains so well over that track, and he's shipped all his races. He's shipped out of there to run, and I just figured that'd be the best way to do it and just ship him the week of the race here at uh, at Oakland, and that'd be where I could school him once in the paddock and and you know give him uh, take him to the gate here, and I think that should be enough. You know, I mentioned that his victory in the grade three street sense at Churchill was the first greatest stakes win of your career since going out on your own. Look back on that day. What was that moment like? Uh, it was it was pretty great. I mean, obviously, I mean, that he this horse has always acted like he was a pretty nice horse and he had run all his races were very good. He was probably a touch unlucky in the Iroquois. He got in a little bit of traffic there down the lane. I don't know if that would have that cost him the win, but it probably cost him being second. But I was just all summer long just waiting to see him, you know, when he got to run two turns. And it doesn't always work out, but for him to really relish going two turns, that was uh, quite satisfying. Do you take anything away from the fact that he's already won at Churchill Downs? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to, you know, he's run uh, three times there and he's run well every time there. So, yeah, obviously, you know, you can never use the track as an excuse. And he's run, you know, when he won that day, it was a sea of mud. And, you you know, as you know, Derby Day, you never know what the weather could be. So that's, you know, that's nice to have that variable out of the way. Yeah, and that track on Derby Day is completely different than the racetrack that he competed on at Churchill last October. So things will change from yeah. that perspective. But Without it's a still doubt. a win at Churchill Downs, which I think has to be a nice feather in his cap. Yes, sir. He's raced five times, Robbie. I don't have to tell you this. You know he's very consistent. Two wins, a second, and two-thirds. What makes him so hickory, if you will, just shows up every time you bring him over? Uh, he's, You know, he was a horse, Mike, that when I had him, you know, when we first started with him, you know, looking at him because he's, you know, got a lot of good size to him. 
you know, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a horse that's going to, you know, probably run for the first time late summer, early fall, that type of horse. And I, you know, the more, you know, when he started training, he was just kind of just forward enough, you know, forward. And then I talked to one of uh, Evan Ferraro, who owns half of them. I said, Evan, I'd rather just run this horse. You know, we ran him at the end of May. I said, I'd rather run him 5'8 than continue to breeze them waiting for a longer race. And he said, do whatever you want to do. I said, he's a horse that's going to need some racing. And, and it's, it's worked out uh, quite well. You know, we got to run him 5'8, and then we ran him three quarters, 7'8 to Ellis Park, and then a mile at Churchill and mile 16. So his progression was, was very good. And the one thing I would say, uh, Mike, he still makes mistakes in his training where, you know, he doesn't want to totally listen to his rider, but in the afternoon, he's pretty solid. He he, he pretty much uh, knows what to do. As as a trainer, then, do you just live with those mistakes that he makes in the morning, knowing that he's not doing that in the afternoon, or do you worry it's going to start showing up in the afternoon? Well, you, you worry about it, Mike, because you know when you as now you know when he's run you know ran in those races last year, he's running with a bunch of you know sort of green babies as well. Yeah. And as we keep going further, you know, the maturity and the ones that don't make mistakes in the morning and in the afternoon, those are the ones that, you know, usually get, you know, they hit the winter circle. So he's going to have to, you know, start being a little, little more attentive to his rider and stuff like that. But, you know, hopefully, you know, I think he's one of, when I gave him a little fresh, when I freshened him up a little bit and I got him back, he was wanting to be a little too aggressive. And ever since he's been, you know, he's had a couple works, he's that's kind of quieted that down a little bit. Have you seen much change in his development, either mentally or physically, since you gave him that time off last October? Mentally, he's more aggressive. You know, he's always been kind of a, a laid-back kind of cult. And since he's had that time off, he's a little bit more aggressive acting, you know, around the barn, which I kind of like. And the one thing I would say, just having 30 days off of training, you could see it, and, you know, he kind of got a little thicker in his neck and, and through his body. You talk about his aggressiveness, and you said you like that. Is, is that similar to an athlete that maybe is a little bit, I don't know, cocky, I guess, that, but it's a yes. positive cockiness where they're more, more confident in, their, in themselves and their ability than, than it is, you know, a dish against, uh, against some of the other players? Without a doubt, that's it, 100%. I mean, when he ran and won his last start, I mean, the next couple of days, he was just like standing in front of that stall with his eyeballs, <laughs> kind of, you know, like, you know, just kind of his chest out. And, you know, that's kind of what you want when you see a horse run. You want them to kind of, you want to see that. And, and that was, that's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, this show, of course, sponsored by Phasic Tipton, has been for many, many years. You mentioned Evan Ferraro, who is the owner and the breeder, along with Stephen Ferraro, so the co-owners and breeders. It's cool to have a homebred for them, too, isn't it? Oh, it's great. I mean, they're great. I mean, Evan's great, and, you know, Mr. Ferraro, it's like they just gave me the ball and told me, you know, just do whatever. Everything I've we've talked about, it's been the same way. Whatever you feel comfortable with doing, just do it. Just do it. Don't think we're pressuring you to do anything. Visiting so with trainer uh, Robbie Medina here on Trainer Talk, presented by Fazig Tipton Liberal Arts, currently number four on the Kentucky Derby point standings. Robbie, I did notice, though, that the Derby Future Wager pool number three opens up this weekend at Churchill Downs, and he's one of the longer shots there, not getting a lot of respect. He's 80-1 to one, uh, for his opening odds. 
little disrespect for liberal arts? What do you think? Oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think any horse that's a short price right now in the Derby is kind of crazy unless it's a Seattle Slough, and I don't see Seattle Slough out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you know, they're all they're all in the same boat, you know, and I think, you know, there's no, I mean, they're all, there's a bunch of nice, uh, good horses out there, but I don't, I've always felt, you know, as a kid watching it, you don't know until that last prep when they start separating, when they start running that mile and eighth, you start seeing a difference in who, who's the pretender and who, who's the contenders, I think. That's Robbie Medina, and again, that entire conversation taking place on my Trainer Talk show, which you can catch every Wednesday, 6 to 7 Eastern, here on the network. If you want to listen to the entire thing, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. Type in Trainer Talk Horse Racing Radio Network on every podcast platform, and you'll find it there. Really cool stuff from Robbie, and we got into some other things later in the show, including Robbie's um, very unique hobby that he has away from racing he loves his shoe collection i've never had a trainer tell me that before but he gets into some of the details about his shoe collection so head back over and check out the podcast and some fun stuff several great stories from robbie medina uh, on that trainer talk show but liberal arts listen he's a long shot he's got a lot to prove um, just like all of these three-year-olds but i love the way he he ended that little excerpt you just heard it's the mile and an eighth that separates the men from the boys. So just like I mentioned at the top of the show, one loss, two losses, three losses, they don't hurt you in thoroughbred racing. This isn't college football. So you can learn. Let these horses learn. Let them develop. Let them mature so that when they do get to those final prep races in a mile and an eighth, they're ready. And when they get to Churchill Downs on the first Saturday of May, they're ready for that mile and a quarter test against 19 other rivals. Fun stuff there. Going to be a good conversation coming up, too, with jockey Joel Rosario. He's in the on-deck circle. He'll join me next. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans, the top jockeys, the top horses, they're all here at Spectacular Santa Anita this winter. With first post time this weekend at 12.30 p.m., Saturday's nine-race card will be highlighted by the great three La Cunada stakes as older fillies and mares go a mile and one-sixteenth on the main track. And horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum as well as the coast-to-coast pick five. It's a $1 wager with a low 50 15% takeout that combines five races from both Santa Anita and Coldstream Park. You can get free coast-to-coast pass performances at SantaAnita.com slash coast. Additionally, our popular $3 all-turf pick three is back, showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. 
At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile. The grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. As they straighten away, it's Trek Phantom in front after three quarters and one minute 12. .04 seconds. Track Phantom leads Nash by two. Sneed charging hard on the outside. Nash is third toward the inside. It's Track Phantom who's still finding as they come down toward the final 16th with footprint back and forth with Christian Torres. Track Phantom is leading home Sneed. Nash is third to Track Phantom and the Gunrunner. Track Phantom has won it by a length to Sneed. Nash was third and footprint finished fourth. That's John Dooley with the call of the Gunrunner Stakes at Fairgrounds on December 23rd. It was won by Track Phantom, as you just heard, under jockey Christian Torres. The race prior to that, jockey Joel Rosario was aboard Track Phantom for his maiden breaking score at Churchill Downs when they won by four and three-quarter lengths. Joel was riding against Track Phantom in that Gunrunner. He was riding another Asmussen runner, Risk It, who ended up finishing fifth that day. So he, he knows this horse from a couple of different angles, and... He's kind enough to spend some time with us here this morning. Joel, always happy to have you on board, my friend. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. How are you doing? Good, my friend. Good, good, good. And, you know, Track Phantom is a horse. I mentioned you know him um, from winning on him. You know him from finishing behind him last time out in the Gunrunner. Tell me more about this horse. What, What have you learned about him over the course of his very young career? Yeah, I mean, he's a really good horse, and, uh, yeah, I got the opportunity to ride it once, and then we won the race. And uh, yeah, last time when again uh, we run against him, and then you know he beat us. So he, you know, he's a very talented horse. I know you learn a lot about a horse when you're aboard them, but how about when you're riding against them? Florent Giroux was with me in the first half of the program, and he talked about knowing the other horses in some of the stakes races today because he's either ridden them or ridden against them in the past. So. How how does that work for a jockey? Can you learn something about a horse by riding against them, even if they beat you? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I you know, I, and and I think riding is even be, you know even better when you ride a horse and and you have the you know your horse, you know, so you know exactly what he can do or no do and uh, what he like to be, you know, and all those kind of stuff. So it's definitely you know good when you have the opportunity to, I mean, riding. When you've been riding, it's better. What did you learn about Track Phantom when you broke his maiden with him in November at Churchill? Yeah, I mean he's. Uh, we, we learned, you know, he, he he. I think he ran for the first time going long, and uh, um, he, you know he's uh, he relaxed really good for me, and then he he was able to, uh, you know, to 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 take him all the way and. Uh, and and that race that day, and uh, then he came back and he won the, the you know the what he won the other day. That was very impressive again. And uh, yeah, so he he's a young horse. I think you know he's just learning. And uh, yeah, but he look like he's he's been doing really well. You said he relaxed very good for you in that maiden win in November. He was on the front end that day. Horses, yeah. when we see the past performances, Joel, I think a lot of people look at that and they go. Oh, he's just a speed horse. He just runs off with the jockey. 
That's not the case. They can be going very fast and on the lead and still very relaxed, can't they? Yeah, yeah. They can be very fast, but sometimes they, they can be, you know, if they're not relaxed running in the race, and sometimes they want to pull you a little bit, like if they want to go faster or, or go forward, you know, and, and uh, if they don't relax, sometimes it just can be a little difficult, you know, they get tired at the end. And, uh, you know, so just stuff like that. And when they relax, when you feel them, they're like, they're really comfortable and they, um, you know, they look like they're going, you know, they're doing their thing really naturally, I mean, easy. They know with no pressure and stuff like that. So that, you know, I think it's a lot, it's better, you know, a lot of time for for the horse, you know. How do you get a horse to relax during the race? I mean, just you relax. I mean, the horse relax. Sometimes they they want to go no matter <laughs> no matter what you do. But I mean, if you relax and they relax for you, and uh, I mean, you feel it, you know, and they strike when they when they really, you know, sometimes they want to go. I mean, they they, they, they it's not they, a lot of times it's really good, you know. So the um, I minute mean, relaxes, I mean, when they get in their stride and then they feel comfortable, you know. Just because you're riding track phantom in the LeCompte stakes today doesn't necessarily mean that he is the horse you're going to be riding in the Kentucky Derby on the first Saturday in May. Talk about what jockeys are doing at this time of the year. We're still 105 days away from the Derby. So what are jockeys doing at this time of the year um, trying to make sure that they find the horse that they think can win the Derby. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's still early, and you know sometimes it's hard to because uh, you know they have a lot of horses, and sometimes they don't even make it get in there, you know. And uh, uh, but you know, as a jockey, we're looking for the horse. You know, we're looking to trying to find a horse for the Derby, and, and you know, trying to find a, a good three-year-old so we can we can get there with that with that, you know. You have a pretty good agent, too, and the legendary Ron Anderson. Um, talk to me about that relationship, Joel, and is it more you telling him, hey, I think this horse, I, I like what I felt when I worked this horse, I want to ride him, or is it him saying, hey, Joel, the, the trainers of this horse feel like he's a legit derby horse, why don't you try him? Yeah, I mean, it's all Ron, you know. He's uh, uh, he's the one who do it, and, and you know, he's the one to pick up the horses and uh, Stuff like that. But I mean, if I like a horse, I can say, well, maybe what about this horse or stuff like that. But most of the time, you know, around he's uh, he he's the one to you know the the look out for. Us. So he he you know he's the one to making the decision. Well, that is the Lacomp Stakes. It is race thirteen. It's a Derby points race. The winner will get twenty points toward a spot in the starting gate on the first Saturday <laughs> in May. Uh, the race before that is the Louisiana Stakes, and Joel, you're going to be aboard Red Route One, who breaks from the inside post position, going a mile and a sixteenth there at the fairgrounds. Um, talk to me about the post, and talk to me about this horse. You've ridden him uh, several times. Yeah, I think the post position is great, and uh, you know he's a horse that, that, that everything has to come in, be in his way, and uh, you know he's really, but he's a really nice horse, and uh, you know we. we, we We'll see what he he come. I mean, we'll see what he have today, and, uh, and, and you know stuff like that. But you know, he's an easy horse to ride, and uh, yeah, it's whatever. You know, he's uh, he, he he just he's a great horse. You know, he's the complete opposite of Track Phantom, who has that early speed, has always been forwardly placed in all of his races. Red Route One is what we call a closer. He's going to be coming from off the pace. 
Tell me about the, the sure. difference in your approach to getting him to relax and timing your move as opposed to with, with Track Phantom where you're going to be close to the lead. Yeah, he's a – I mean, that horse, he's easy to ride. He do everything in his, you know, his own. If he's close to the pace because, I mean, they're going slow or, or, or you know, stuff like that. He, he you know, and he'd be coming at the end. You know, he's a, he always making that, you know, the late move. And, and uh, yeah, he, he, he tries really hard all the time. But, he, you know, he's an easy horse to ride. It, you know, listen, as you know, Joel, I have never – ridden a horse I've done two trail rides in my life it scared the hell out of me both times right so <laughs> I, I don't know how you do it but I'm sitting here looking at track phantom saying okay Joel Rosario I've always said you're one of the best if not the best front end rider in the sport and then red route one who's coming from off the pace I always thought if I was a jockey if I really had that ability that mm-hmm. I would want to ride a closer because I would want to feel that acceleration and feel myself blowing past my rivals in the stretch Describe what that's yeah. like when you're when you're just when you say go and that horse gives you everything he has and you know even if you're far behind at the top of the stretch you know you're going to win the race. What's that like? Yeah, that's a good feeling. I mean, when you have a horse, they do that for you, and then you feel that like they're moving for you. And uh, yeah, so you you know when you're behind, you never you never got there. Yeah, you never know. But when you when you passing every you know horses and stuff like that, so, you know it's a great feeling. I mean, that's uh, that's what we want. <laughs> You know, like in, in my defense, one of those trail rides, the horse they brought out, they told me his name was Lazarus, and I was like, oh, this is not a good sign. Lazarus risen from the dead. Th- this is not a good sign that they, they brought this ho- horse out to me. So I don't know how you do it, man, but I have all the respect in the world for every <laughs> jockey out there. Oh, thank, thank you. Yeah. Listen, let's talk about some of the other races. Joel Rosario with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh Beatbox is the horse that you're going to ride for trainer Cherie DeVoe. That's in the Colonel E.R. Bradley Stakes, mile and a sixteenth on the turf. Tell me a little bit more about this horse. Yeah, he's uh, also another horse, really good horse and easy to ride. And uh, yeah, last time we almost won the race last time with him, he finished second. And uh, yeah, we look for see if we continue to improve today and then, and then uh, trying to win this race. Yeah, he's a horse that has had tactical speed in some of his races, and then last time out with him, you came from further back, but he got off a little bit slowly in that race at the fairgrounds. Um, yeah. Do you feel like his, if you can get him into the race today, that maybe he ends up getting there first? Yeah, that's that's, that's the plan. I think you know, so I think uh, this is what maybe we're trying to do, and uh, and then go from there. But you know, he's a. Uh, He'd be knocking on the door for a winner, so hopefully today is the day. You're well-mounted in the Silver Bullet Day as well. The three-year-old Phillies trying to get to the Kentucky Oaks on the first Friday in May. Perfect shot, breaks from the rail. Uh, Steve Asmussen, the trainer. This will be the first time that you've ridden this filly. How much do you know about her? Uh, I really don't nothing much about it. So, um, you know, we'll we just go we'll see what Steve has to say and, uh, and, and then go like that. Do you prepare differently when you're riding a horse that you have never sat on before? Um, yes, I, sometimes we watch the, the, the replays or you know look the form and uh, have an idea. But when you never ride them before, we just uh, work for the first time, and uh, yeah, we just uh, we just have a little bit of an idea. So when you, when we get on or what is the or whatever Steve have to say. 
Yeah, taking directions from one of the greatest to ever do it in Steve Asmussen, and he is giving directions to yeah. one of the great riders in the sport today, Joel Rosario. Joel, join the dances who you ride in the Marie Krantz Memorial. Uh, last time out, you finished third in the Blushing KD Stakes at the fairgrounds with Join the Dance, Dallas Stewart, the trainer. Um, what did you learn that day that might help you today? Yeah, I mean, that day I thought it was a lot of, a lot of speed, but she probably liked to be a little more closer in the race. But, um, you know what I mean? So, but we'll see what happened with her today. She was, that I have to say. And, uh, yeah, she's a, she's a great for, a horse. And, uh, yeah, I think we have a good chance today. See what happens. Yeah, you're going to be very busy. You have mounts in just about every single race, if not every race at the fairgrounds today. And I guess when mm-hmm. Joel Rosario shows up, everybody wants to make sure that uh, they're giving their horses the best chance, and you do that on almost every occasion. Um, one Kentucky Derby, two Belmont Stake victories. You've won 15 Breeders' Cup races, 3,566 wins coming into today for your career, Joel. And I happen to notice that this is the first year, 2024, that you are eligible to be on the ballot for Hall of Fame induction. You ride with so many great Hall of Famers every day. John Velasquez, Javier Castellano, or just a couple of names that come to mind. Mike Smith. Um, Mm -hmm. Do do you view your career at this point as being a Hall of Fame career? I mean, that's a choice. I mean, that's like somebody has to decide. But, I mean, yes, we've been working really hard. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a lot for long time and uh yeah if we can get there it would be amazing so you know so we we really we'd be really happy about that yeah i don't know what else is left to comp maybe a preakness stakes you haven't won the preakness yet mm-hmm. yeah it's, been, it's a lot of yeah second and third I'm not winning that one yet <laughs> what what <laughs> races are, are still left on your your bucket list other than the preakness what other races have you not won that you would love to win Oh, you know, a bunch of them. I haven't won in one of the Saudi Cups yet. <laughs> I haven't won <laughs> oh, now, now we're going for all the big money ones. Yeah, now we're going for the big money, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we haven't won a lot of, I mean, one of the British Cup races that uh, we haven't won yet. And uh, let me know if we can think about it. Yeah, we haven't won. I mean, you said beside the quickness. So we, I mean, we were really lucky. We're not like, I mean, we, we, being very successful, and uh, we know we have the opportunity to win a lot of big races. You know, with so many amazing people, owners and trainers, and uh, give us the opportunity. But you know, we definitely have a, a more in, in, in mind. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wouldn't shock me a bit, Joel, if you're on the ballot this year and your name is called and you have your plaque in Saratoga. I look at your career as being first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. And, uh, man, it's been a joy to watch you ride throughout your career, and I want to wish you all the best this afternoon and uh safe trip every single time you get a leg up, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it very much. All right. Good luck today, brother. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, Joel Rosario here on HRN. And really, 3,566 wins coming into today. Uh you win two Belmont, you win the Kentucky Derby. I know he hasn't won the Preakness, but he was second with Epicenter. You heard him say a second and a, a third. He was second, too, by the way, with Everfast in 2019. So he's been runner-up a couple of times in the Preakness. But 15 Breeders' Cup wins. I mean, what do you have to do? I'm going to nominate him. 
he's one of the ones that I'm going to submit as consideration for being a finalist this year. But I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think it, it would be hard to debate that considering what he has accomplished throughout this tremendous career. We'll see if he's on the right horse later today in the LeCompte and all the other stakes races he just walked through for you uh, at the fairgrounds. When I come back, you're going to hear from John Green of DJ Stables. He takes time to join me and talk about his LeCompte entrant can group for trainer Mark Cassie. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Here comes Midshipman's Dance, and Tanya showers on the outside. Midshipman's Dance diving to the line, and she's going to get it. Midshipman's Dance wins the Mockingbird and gives Christian Torres four wins today. Midshipman's Dance, the daughter of Darley Stallion Midshipman, remained undefeated while waltzing her way to victory in the Mockingbird Stakes at Oaklawn last weekend in just her second career start, an achievement which makes Midshipman's Dance your Darley taking the reins performer of the week. Darley Stallion Midshipman, an Eclipse Champion two-year-old and record-breaking Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner. No stallion under 40,000 can match Midshipman's 17% career black type horses from starters. Learn more about Midshipman and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Vote no to the center of the course from fourth quarter mile to go. No to then behind horses. And then Nomos, who has to go out with Coin Miner toward the center of the course. Noted will join them on the outside. Gorilla Track trying to run from last in the center of the course. Up front, though, it is double your money with a narrow lead. Double your money, First World War. Vote no. Noted is coming late. Here is Noted. Here is Can Group. Noted. Can Group at the wire. Head bobbing photo for the win. In the Castle and Key Bourbon, either can group or noted for the top spot. Well, it was indeed can group who took home the top honors in the bourbon. Kurt Becker had the call. That was at Keeneland on October 8th of last year. A huge game victory. Can group coming from far back to get up and get his nose to the wire first. He would go on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, ended up finishing a fast closing fourth in that event. And today, he makes his three-year-old debut, and he does it in the LeCompte Stakes at the fairgrounds. That grade three has a post time of 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock locally Central time, and 4 o'clock out on the West Coast. And 
I thought about reaching out to Mark Cassie, the trainer of Can Group, and whenever you can get a dual Hall of Famer on the program, you always try to do it. But then I started looking, and I said, hmm, Can Group is owned by DJ Stable and Cash is King. John Green, the man behind DJ Stable, he's been down the road to the Derby before. I thought, you know what, let's give John a call. He's kind enough to join me here this morning. John, I really do appreciate it, my friend. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I, I appreciate it, and uh, it'll be a fun uh, fun conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it. Look, this is a horse that you picked out at Fasic Tipton October, the Kentucky October sale. What was it that you saw in Can Group that led you to write the check? Well, the, the nice thing about Can Group is, uh, you know, his, his dam uh, had already produced uh, a pretty good runner, uh, um, you know, by flat out, uh, the flat out speed. So there was there was already some history that the mayor could throw a runner. Um, and, you know, not that we're necessarily looking for good Samaritans out there. He's a good stallion, but, um, but certainly, you know, we don't go out of our way to, to look at one. When he came out of the barn, um, he, was, he was a jaw dropper. I mean, you, you kind of, we were looking at another horse, and we kept, you know, Mark and I kept looking over and saying, who's the good Samaritan? Because he's stout. He's really what we're looking for. Um, and, uh, and, and sure enough, you know, we had to give a little bit of money for him, uh, but uh, he's proven to be worth every every dollar and then some. His first two starts come on the main track, then his next three were on the turf. And when you moved him to the turf on September 2nd of last year is when he broke his maiden and then goes on to be a grade two winner in the Bourbon Stakes. And as I mentioned, that strong effort in the grade one Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Um, he goes back to the dirt today. Is this a situation where you say, okay, let's see if he indeed can handle the main track and get us on the trail of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, you know, he's he's always given us the indication that he can uh train equally on the on the dirt and on the uh on the turf. Um and if you look at his numbers, he's really been improving with every race. And I think part of that is maturity. Part of it is the fact that the races have been getting further, um, you know, which is in his wheelhouse now. And, you know, our feeling is that if, if we're giving him opportunity to run back on the dirt um, because we're not sure that turf is necessarily his preferred, uh, you know, path. Um, you know, and, and we're hoping that the first two races, you know, one was on the slop and, and it was five furlongs. He is definitely not a sprinter, um, but he still passed horses and finished third. And then, uh, you know, we ran him back, uh, you know, a few weeks later and he did improve and he lost by a lot, but he lost to Timberlake who went on to do, uh, you know, big things on, on the dirt as well. And, and then, you know, we, we eased him onto the turf he won. Uh, we took a shot in the bourbon. He was 20 to one and, and he just got up there by a nose and, and the Breeders' Cup turf, you know, he only lost by two lengths. So it wasn't even like he wrote, uh, you know, he ran a, a poor race. His numbers have improved with each and every race, Mike. And, and we just feel like that if we're going to take a shot to try him back on the dirt, we'd rather do it in January of his three-year-old year than later on when the water gets really deep. What kind of changes have you noticed in him since we last saw him on the track in early November at the Breeders' Cup? That, that's a great question. We, we actually had full intentions to give him uh, eight or ten weeks off because he, he did have a hard campaign and he did ship around. Uh, you know, four of his five starts were at different racetracks. He went from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. So it was our full intention to give him, uh, you know, the usual complement of time off and he was just feeling so good um, that he made us change the plan. Uh, and, and he went out and breezed 
you know, like around the 1st of December, I think it was, um, and, and was, you know, two-fifths of a second off the bullet and then came back a week later and was the, the fastest uh, breeze at, at Palmetto's. And at that point in time, Mark Cassie, our trainer, and Chuck Zachney, our, our partner from Cassius King, and, and, and my dad and I sat down and said, okay, what is the game plan for Can Group? Um, fortunately, we've, we've been down the path um, with a couple of our Colts over the past couple of years of being able to run long and on the turf. Um, you know, Web Slinger's the most recent uh, horse who did that for us. So we kind of knew what that path would be. Um, and we wanted to give Can Group the opportunity to run them on the dirt. And quite frankly, the way that the fairgrounds course is set up um, with, with the, uh, you know, with, with the surface there and the fact that it was a mile and 16th. And if he does well, the next race is going to be nine furlongs. It, that, that, that path is what we really thought would be best for him. If he doesn't run well today, then we can always shift gears and, and bring him back onto that turf path. But um, as you know, the, the, the Derby is the goal where the Oaks, you know, if it was a Philly is the goal for the majority of, of the industry. And uh, the fact that they increased the purses for, you know, for both those races made it a little more palatable for us to try him now on the dirt. I'm glad you talk about the three of you sitting down together. And when you're dealing with a guy like Mark Cassie, who has had so much incredible success in this game, I mentioned a member of the Canadian hall of fame and the American hall of fame. Um, how do those conversations, how do they go, John? What I mean by that is, is it more, you know, Mark throwing his recommendations out there and then you as the owner of the horse say, well, Mark, we like that, but maybe we'd look at this route or how does it all, how does it all come together when you're sitting down? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Thankfully, Mark and I talk daily, um, and we certainly don't talk about every horse on a daily basis, but we're in communication constantly. So I have a pretty good idea of, of you know, what he wants to do. Um, you know, we're, we're very transparent with each other because we're, we're on the same team. We want to make sure that we're understanding everything. And, you know, by adding also um, the experience of somebody like Chuck Zachney into the mix, um, it is just a wonderful advantage for us as well. So when the three of us sat down, it, we had the two paths and we said, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to continue them on the turf, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this race in Florida, this race in Florida, go to Keeneland, go to Churchill Downs, you know, hopefully. Um, and then on to, you know, the, 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 the Naira derbies, you know, the, the, the three turf races in, in New York. Um, but, you know, we, we also said, Let's try the dirt. It, what, what's plan B for the, you know, or plan number two, I guess, um, is if we went to the dirt and how would we do it? Um, an allowance race at this stage of the game doesn't help us because it, there's no points involved. And quite frankly, they don't write two other thens at this stage for straight three-year-olds. So we're, we're, we're kind of boxed out of that opportunity. So you really have to try them on the, on the dirt in a stake race. And again, we just felt like the fairgrounds would be much more to his liking. Um, and, and we sent him down or sent him over <laughs> to Louisiana um, the last week of December. So he, he's been there training on that racetrack for almost a month. You mentioned Chuck Zachney, Cassius King. He's had a tremendous amount of success in the game on, on his own uh, through owning some top horses, too. How did that relationship come about? Yeah, that was that was strictly thanks to, to John Service, who was training for both of us at the time um, out in parks. And uh, John had both of us um, buying horses as a, a yearling sales. And he came to us and said, look, you know, I have a, my list, my short list. There's no sense in you guys 
um, bidding against each other. I think it would be a great partnership if you'd be willing to buy a couple of horses together. And we sat down with Chuck and we knew immediately um, that there was great synergy and, and, you know, we really enjoyed each other's company and we laughed and he's an Eagles fan and I'm a Giants fan. So we can kind of, you know, joke around about, about that. Although he's had the better end of that joke for a while, but um, you know, we, we just felt like it was a really good, really good partnership. And again, Chuck adds so much knowledge because he's done it with other trainers and on other um, circuits. So it's, it's nice to get the additional information from Chuck about, you know, what do you think about this? Or we can bounce ideas off each other. But at the end of the day, all three parties, you know, Cassie, Cassius King and DJ Stable, we need to be unanimous when, when we when we decide something, because otherwise, you know, if, if one person votes against it and we have success, that person feels badly. If one person votes against it and we have failure, that person feels worse because, you know, they feel like they were they were right. And as you know, you're going to be wrong a lot more than you are right in this industry. So we're just very thankful that we have such a wonderful relationship with Chuck. And uh, and also that, that Mark Cassie, even though he's a two time Hall of Famer, he's got he's got a good ear. I mean, he listens to what we're saying and and uh, and and obliges to, uh, you know, to to our wants. So if we said to him, he likes to say, you guys on the plane, I'm just the pilot. Um, so if, if, if we decide that we want to go to the, you know, on the dirt with this horse um, and, you know, and he's not 100% behind it, he'll push back and he'll say, hey, these are the things I'm seeing in training. Um, but that wasn't the case with Can Group. It was, it was almost like all three of us came to the table and said we want to try him on the dirt. It was just a matter of where his next race was going to be. Yeah, it's always a good idea to keep the pilot happy. <laughs> Especially if you don't have parachutes. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're all in right now with Can Group in today's LeComp, talking with John Green of DJ Stable, a co-owner of Can Group, and he's 6-1 to one on the morning line, uh, making his return to dirt after racing on the turf in each of his last three starts. John, his running style is one where he would be described as a closer. He comes from far back. He makes that big charge at the end. Do you see that being a formula for success going forward on the main track or do you have to tweak his running style a little bit to get him closer you know one thing that i found over over the years is that you really can't change a horse's preference um you can't make him a dirt horse if he wants to be turf you can't make him a front runner if he likes to come from behind and it's really hard to throttle down speed horses to, to try to you know let somebody else go and and then make a run and and basically you know, he is he, he has told us time and time again that he likes to come off the pace and he likes to pass horses. And it's not just in the races. He likes doing that in the morning also. Um, you know, Mark will tell you that he would train him, uh, you know, between two horses or on the outside of two horses. And he would just kind of gallop and, and jog and breeze very mediocrely. Um, but if you put a horse in front of him and, you know, let him go, he would be hell-bent to try to get past that horse. So he, he has the want to. He definitely wants to pass horses. He, he really enjoys passing horses, and that gives him confidence, um, you know, to, to kind of navigate through. And, Mike, you know, you look at this race, and there's, there's eight horses that, that are, that are uh, in the program of the race. I, I heard a rumor that it may scratch down a little bit, but we actually want to have more horses in this race than less because, um, you know, we want to be able to have enough speed horses that'll pick up the pace so we can kind of hopefully pick them off down the road. If it scratches down to a five-horse field, which normally I would like in a stake race, I, I don't know if that's as good of an opportunity for us because there's going to be less horses uh, that'll be on the front end to try to tire each other out. Yeah, that's a great point. 
John, you got a taste of the Kentucky Derby experience 23 years ago in 2001 with Song and a Prayer, uh, co-owned with Devil Eleven Stable that was Leslie and Bobby Hurley. Uh, how much does it, going through that, even though it was 23 years ago, how much does that make you just want to get back there and, and get back in that environment again? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a great question. When When you... When you get to a certain level in this industry, whether it's you're used to having claiming horses and all of a sudden you're fortunate enough to get a stake horse or you have a couple of stake horses and then you win that uh, graded stake at, at a premier racetrack, it, it, it resets the bar. That's what you're, that's what you're shooting for. Um, so 23 years ago, God, it seems like yesterday, but 23 years ago when, when we ran Song and a Prayer, you know, he was a front-running horse. He couldn't be corralled. And I think to this day, he still owns like the fastest half mile in Kentucky Derby history, which is great if it was a four furlong race, but obviously it wasn't. Um, and 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 that kind of gave us an idea of how to get there. You know, maybe you buy a little bit better bred horse, and maybe you go into a partnership if you can't afford to buy that really bad uh, bred horse. Um, and what races you need to pick off in order to get there. And then we did it similarly with a couple of years ago with Helium, um, where he won the Tampa Bay Derby. He was a horse actually that was going from synthetic to the dirt um, for the first time in the Tampa Bay Derby. And he was 20 something to one in that race. And he won the Tampa Bay Derby, got enough points and we let him kind of go right into the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, there's different ways to get there, but the one commonality um, that, that, that I've pulled from both experiences and from the experiences we've had in the running in the Breeders Cup and in the Oaks is that you have to campaign the horse against the toughest horses that, that are of his field or of her field. Um, you can't dodge anybody. If you go into the expecting to run in the Kentucky Derby, the Kentucky Oaks, and, uh, and, and you won like a secondary prep and you didn't really get a chance to, to run against the best, you're at a big disadvantage because you don't know if your horse is really good enough and the horse doesn't know if it's good enough, quite frankly. Um, so that's another reason why we decided to run in this race in the Lecomte because, you know, Nash and Track Phantom and uh, even, even you can make a case for Ethan Energy, they've all posted some really strong numbers and look like they're legitimate contenders. John, I, I always say that, and I point this out quite often on the program, just to get a horse to the starting gate for its maiden race is a massive accomplishment. It is not easy mm-hmm. to do. So, to be one of the 20 in the starting gate at Churchill Downs on the first Saturday in May for the run for the Roses, is the, the odds are so stacked against you. It is incredibly um, difficult. It's an incredible achievement, too, if you can pull it off. From your perspective as an owner, somebody who was there 23 years ago and now could potentially get back there again this year, in your words, describe how difficult it really is to, to get a horse to the Kentucky Derby. You know, if if you, I'm I'm a uh, certified financial planner by trade. My dad is a um, is a, a CPA by trade. So you know, we look at the statistics and we look at the numbers um, on a lot of industries. And there's no question in my mind that the horse industry is the biggest challenge. It's the toughest opportunity to succeed um, and to get into you know into a, a positive uh, cash flow standpoint. If we went strictly by the numbers we would not be in the horse business, at least not in the racing side of the horse business, because um, it is stacked against you. A third of the horses every year don't even make a start. A third of, of the remaining group only win one race, and then you have kind of that upper third that you hope are going to be good enough to, to you know, run in some of these preps or the derby. Um, so if it was strictly, you know, hey, let's look at the numbers and, and see if that makes sense, no, we wouldn't be doing this anymore. Um, but, you know, if you have a good team, 
you have good partners. Um, you have horses that are bred to be able to go two turns, nine, ten furlongs. Uh, you know, then, then then you have an opportunity for luck to run you over. Yep, yep, and it has done it many, many times for John Green and for DJ Stable. They're hoping it'll happen again coming up later today in the Lecomte Stakes. John, before I, I let you go, uh, the last time you and I talked here on the program, we weren't able to say this. You are now a quote-unquote broadcasting brethren of mine, if you will. Uh, you have your own <laughs> podcast now talking about horse racing. Tell me just a little bit more about what you're doing on that front. Yeah, that's that's been a real labor of love. It, it's uh, it's real talk. It's uh, it's a weekly podcast that uh, Joe Bianca and I uh, do together, and we we tackle some of the the uh, the topics of of, of the week uh, in the industry, the good, the bad, and and the ugly. And and we have some great guests like you do that that just you know can add additional insight and, and illuminate our our audience members. Um, it's a, it's about a thirty to forty minute. Uh, time investment for you know for you and you can hear rail talk on any of the streaming channels and uh you know mike we're up to we're up to uh like i think episode number 23 or 24 now so um you know so we've broken our maiden and and we've gone through our allowance conditions and now we're ready to set up step up to the big time again with you and and steve bick and guys like that (laughs) i love it man i welcome you to the fold uh i really appreciate it too uh, all the best later today in the LeCompte and all the best going forward down the road to the Kentucky Derby. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats, 
Uh-oh, looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand Up to Cancer and Rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back to the program. One more hour to go. I'll tell you what's ahead in hour number three momentarily. If you missed any portion of the first two hours, if you are just tuning in, you missed a lot. You missed Kevin Kirstein talking about the Kentucky Derby future wagers and sharing his thoughts on a few long shots. You might want to put a few shekels on later this weekend. Florent Giroux was with me. Joel Rosario was with me. And then you just heard from John Green a few minutes ago in that excerpt from Robbie Medina, who joined me on Trainer Talk this past week, talking about liberal arts, trying to make his way down the road to the first Saturday in May. All of that was in the first two hours of the show, and there is plenty more coming up, and I'll get you caught up on that in just a minute. But let's update the poll question for you here this morning. I'm asking you who your pick is to win today's LeCompte Stakes at the fairgrounds. Do you like the favorite track Phantom, who Joel is going to be aboard? Do you like Nash? who's going to be ridden by Florent Giroux, or do you like Can Group? You just heard John Green talking about him and sharing his thoughts on why he is in this spot today. Do you like any of those three, or do you like somebody else? And so far, it appears as if Track Phantom, who is the morning line favorite, is back in the lead. 42% of HRN Nation saying it is Track Phantom over Nash in today's LeCompte. Kim comments and says Nash needs the lead, and he hates the crop. Well, let's hope that's not the case for Nash later today in that race. And if you're playing against him, you hope it is the case. you got to love horse racing. Um, before I get to historical dates in racing history, I uh, want to extend a heartfelt congratulations to Tom Hammond, who coming up at the Eclipse Awards on Thursday evening in South Florida is going to be honored with a special Eclipse Award for career excellence. And I can think of no better choice than Tom Hammond. For more than 50 years, Tom brought us unbelievable coverage of racing, not just on the broadcasting side, but he was involved with television production and then several other initiatives with the thoroughbred industry. Uh, Just a class act, somebody that I really, really have enjoyed getting to know over the years, and uh, nobody better than Tom Hammond and one of the true good guys in life and in thoroughbred racing. So congratulations to Tom Hammond on that tremendous honor and looking forward to seeing him receive that Eclipse Award coming up on Thursday. Time now to take a look at some historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. And just a few for you here this morning. Yesterday, January 19th, the anniversary of Swaps winning the San Vicente Stakes. It was the first race of his three-year-old campaign. Came at Santa Anita Park. He would go on to triumph over Nashua in the Kentucky Derby that year. That happened January 19th, 
1955 when Swaps won the San Vicente. January 20th, 1972, today, the anniversary of Secretariat being shipped from Virginia to Florida to be trained by Lucian Lauren. We know what happened after that. January 20th, 1979, the anniversary of odds-on favorite affirmed with Steve Cawthon aboard, finishing second in the San Fernando Stakes at Santa Anita. He was beaten by a horse named Radar Ahead, and it was their fourth consecutive defeat. Cawthon, subsequently, by the way, lost the mount on affirmed to jockey Lafitte Pinkat Jr., who rode the horse for the remainder of his four-year-old season, winning seven races in as many starts. Of course, Affirmed later voted Horse of the Year of 1979. And Cawthon, well, he went on to a pretty good career, too. Uh, spectacular stuff. The January 20th, 1979 is the anniversary of that occurrence. Plenty more still ahead here on the Equine Forum. Two hours down, one to go. When I come back, Ashley Anderson is going to share her thoughts on three races you can watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 10.20. And in the final segment of today's show, 10.30 Eastern, I once again welcome trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin to discuss racing's hottest topics on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the program nationwide on Sirius 216 XM 204 in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 or on your computer, your phone, your tablet, however you stream, stream us live at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause. Ten seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. It's War of Will, who's taking charge in this final fairgrounds for one for Tyler Gaffleone, pulled clear from Maniwa, Hungry Kessel is staying on, who's cover bay between horses, they're close to home, it's War of Will, runs out impressively in the Lecomte, one by four. Down to the final 16th of a mile, believe you can for Rosie Napravnik, believe you can, believe you can in the Silver Bullet Day, all the way, believe you can. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Frisian Fire in front for Gabriel Saez, down to this final fairgrounds furlong, and Frisian Fire pulling away with a plum from Papa Clem. Between horses, terrain runs on, Soul Warrior and Giant Oak on the outside. Frisian Fire sweeps the three-year-old series at the fairgrounds. Mucho Macho Man. Gary Stevens hand riding him at the eighth pole, 10 lengths in front of the field. Bernie the Maestro about to be joined by Joshua's Comprise, who takes second behind the comeback performance by Mucho Macho Man in the Sunshine Millions Classic. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Equine Forum, barreling toward the finish line on this Saturday morning. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. 105 days away from the run for the roses, and it might not seem that way for so many of you who are dealing with those frigid temperatures, looking out your window and seeing snow-covered streets and trees and 
hillsides. But, yeah, 105 days. That's a thought that will warm you up on this very chilly Saturday morning. The Grade 3 LeCompte Stakes is a derby points race at the fairgrounds today, as is the Silver Bullet Day. And the Silver Bullet Day, one of three races uh, that you're going to hear about on today's Twin Spires Triple Play with Ashley Anderson, who will kick off the third hour of the show with me momentarily. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history, presented by Keeneland at 1020. And at 1030, Dale and Tim, both going to be with me for I Ask, They Answer, as we debate some of the hottest topics in the sport today. If you missed any portion of the first two hours of the program, you missed an awful lot of really solid content, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast whenever you have some time. You can do that, too, on every podcast platform. Simply type in Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along with us there. And follow us on social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. Without further ado, Hour 3 begins with the Twin Spires Triple Play. And as I mentioned, Ashley Anderson is with me this morning to do the honors. She has selected three races you'll want to keep an eye on and bet at Twin Spires later today. Ashley, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. So many racetracks forced to cancel this week uh, all over the country, from the Northeast and even going down into Arkansas at Oaklawn Park. You you took the safe route. You picked all three races <laughs> at fairgrounds in New Orleans. And listen, it, it's not going to be overly warm in New Orleans either. The cold weather making it all the way there. Temperatures only supposed to be in the mid-40s for highs in New Orleans today. But at least we have live racing. Right. I checked the weather forecast just to see and make sure nothing weird was going to happen. But I think a high of 47, but no snow or rain in the forecast. So I think we'll be safe in New Orleans. Yeah, should be fast and firm, and the races you have selected today are going to give our listeners kind of a mix of everything from maiden races to allowance races to stakes races, and I I love the way you've approached this triple play here today. So let's dive into it. We begin with the fifth at the fairgrounds. We'll go to the seventh and then the tenth, and again, folks can bet these any way they would like to play them after listening to your analysis. We just encourage them to do that, of course, at Twin Spires. Race number five is a maiden special weight event with a purse of 60000 a field of 10 three-year-old boys going to the post and looking to uh, make a case that they should get on the Triple Crown Trail. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm going with number six, Funny Flame, at 9-2. to two. And real quick, I wanted to mention another reason to play fairgrounds this week, and we have a profit boost at Twin Spires where you can get a 15% boost on all winning win, exacted trifecta, and superfecta wagers at all races at fairgrounds on Saturday. So be sure to check that out and opt into that promo. And hopefully I've got a winner for you here with number six, Funny Flame, who is a three-year-old colt by Flame Away, which was a one of the top first crop sires of 2023. Funny Flame debuted in August of last year at Louisiana Downs, was six in a five-and-a-half furlong sprint, but then transferred to the barn of Shane Wilson, who's winning at a pretty high clip at fairgrounds, about 19%. And Funny Flame, since joining that barn, finished second racing between seven and a half furlongs and one and one sixteenths of a mile. He was so close to breaking his maiden last time when he had the lead in the stretch and then was beaten by a head at the wire. And then he earned a career-best 85 brisk net speed figure. He's adding blinkers, so I think that can help him out here if he gets in another stretch duel. And he's got a hot jockey in Jose Guerrero, winning at a 20% rate at Fairgrounds right now. Also, a red-hot pairing with with Wilson as well. They're 8 for 28 over the last 14 days. So, 
I like Sunny Flame here at nine to two. I think he can beat the morning line favorite, a Steve Asmussen runner, who's I think three to one on the morning line. You mentioned that blinkers going on for Funny Flame today could benefit him if he gets into a stretch battle. Why do you like that move? Just seeing how he was so close and just beaten by a head, I think he has more focus if he has those blinkers. And again, with that that high percent speed figure, I see him improving. And just with that equipment change, I think just that slight difference, we can get him into the winner's circle here. You mentioned the favorite, morning line favorite anyway, Hall of Fame, kind of lukewarm at 3-1 to one on the morning line for Steve Asmussen and jockey Joel Rosario. Highly regarded ever since he was a baby. They paid $1.4 million <laughs> for him at the Fasic Tipton Saratoga sale, so he's always been a good-looking horse, obviously. Why do you think he might be vulnerable in this spot? Well, for one, closers aren't winning at quite a high rate in these race conditions at fairgrounds. I'm looking at, if you're looking at the track bias stats for Brisnet, actually early pace setters, pace setters are winning at a very high percentage, and Funny Flame is one of the few early pace setters in the field. I don't think we're, you know, looking at the most recent, the only race that we have from Hall of Fame, he did race seven furlongs, and he is a closer that had, you know, a second by two lengths, I think, with the extra distance. Could be dangerous here, but again, looking at that track bias, every once in a while I like to play play into the track bias and I think funny flame can potentially go gate to wire here I'll ask you about another horse in this race that figures to take some play and that is number nine night out who will color who would carry the colors of Godolphin from Mike Stidham under jockey Ben Curtis this is a horse Ashley that has always taken money whenever he has competed he was uh, a short price in his debut he came back and was the favorite in his second start and then six to one last time out any chance that night out is a horse to to be in the mix at the finish here you know i'm looking at his races here you know he's got that second on debut at six furlongs he was third at one and one sixteenth of a mile at today's distance he actually did finish third to funny flame in that most recent race and looking at track bias again outside post that outside draw is a little concerning for me here so i think he certainly has a shot if you want to play him in horizontals but again looking at his draw that's kind of what made me shy away from him. But I do like that he's racing on Lasix the first time, and he's got Ben Curtis, who's doing pretty well as a rider at fairgrounds as well. All right, maybe one for exactus and trifectas anyway, but it is number six, Funny Flame at 9-2, to two, who is the top pick for Ashley Anderson in the first leg of the Twin Spires Triple Play, the fifth race at the fairgrounds. Let's move on to race number seven, Ashley. This is an allowance optional claiming event, one mile on the turf, uh, another very contentious horse race. How'd you see this one? So I found a Brad Cox runner at 10 to one on the morning line. Don't know if we're going to get that because it's Brad Cox racing at fairgrounds, but I'm going number five, wonderful justice. And this actually is a race you can play at twin spires with our winter money back offer. You can get up to $10 back on your win bet. If your horse finishes second or third. So certainly an opportunity to play a long shot here. So if wonderful justice comes in second or third, you get that money back. But I think, Wonderful Justice can win. This is a justified Colt who won back-to-back in his first two starts, racing at one and one-sixteenths of a mile. He then moved up in class, faced, faced graded stakes company in the Transylvania, finished far back in ninth with a troubled trip. He cut back to a mile in James W. Murphy stakes on the Preakness undercard, finished fifth by 11 lengths, and then hit the bench, coming off a pretty long layoff of about eight months. But Brad Cox is bringing him back to fairgrounds where Wonderful Justice is two for two. He's put in some solid workouts leading up to his four-year-old debut. And Brad Cox is a 26% winner with horses coming off those long layoffs. 
and also a 25% winner at the allowance level. Plus, you've got Florent Giroux at Fairgrounds, always a good rider to have there, too. So I'm liking Wonderful Justice. I don't know if we're going to get 10 to 1 on the morning line, but I certainly think has a chance to win here. I think that Brad Cox guy is going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good pick. I mean, how often do you get 10 to 1 on a Brad Cox horse at Fairgrounds or anywhere for that matter? I know. I was surprised by it. I'm sure the long layoff is what influenced that morning line price, but yeah, I. It's not like I'm he doesn't win with horses about... coming off of long layoffs, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think it's a good pick, and I I love the horse for course angle. It's something I talk about on the show occasionally. You mentioned two for two at the fairgrounds in his first two starts. Now he returns to that same surface. How much stock, Ashley, when you're looking at these races, how much stock do you put in that horse for course angle? I certainly look at the stat line there, and if I if I see a horse that I already like a lot, and then notice that they have a line like two for two at fairgrounds, then I'm going to weight them even higher sometimes i might find a horse that i think has a shot but not the best shot but then if i notice that they've raced several times at a particular track and they have a high win percentage then i always say to look at that because obviously some horses just take better to certain tracks how do you recommend betting a horse like wonderful justice who is 10 to 1 on the morning line well i certainly would play that win wager with our with our promo that we have going on, but I think it's also a great opportunity to play some exotics, putting Wonderful Justice on top, or play him with another runner that you think has a chance to win, maybe in that one and two spot, and then you know spread a little bit more with the three and four spot and say a superfecto wager. I do think right. there's a vulnerable morning line favorite though in Chasing the Crown, who's three to one lukewarm morning line favorite, and at this distance, looking at the distance, not a distance specialist at one one for six so certainly a chance to fade a favorite in this race as well yep yeah i love it ashley anderson here on the horse racing radio network with this week's twin spires triple play she'll take a shot with number five wonderful justice in the second leg that's the seventh race at the fairgrounds race number 10 at fairgrounds it is the silver bullet day purse of one hundred fifty thousand dollars, mile and 70 yards on the main track it is for the three-year-old fillies and it is a points race for the Kentucky Oaks. So all of these Phillies hoping to make it to Churchill Downs on the first Friday in May. Ashley, how'd you see this one? Well, I know there's a Brad Cox horse that's going to take a lot of money in West Omaha at 2-1 to one in the morning line, but I see a chance to bet a better price here with number one perfect shot. This is a gunrunner Philly for Steve Asmussen. Took three tries to break her maiden, but she started out racing seven furlongs at Churchill, finished fourth to Jin Jin, who just won the Busana Stakes a Kentucky Oaks prep, and then perfect shot. Next, stretched out to a mile, was second in 120K maiden special weight. And then Steve Asmussen tried even farther at 1 and 1 sixteenths of a mile. And perfect shot finally broke her maiden at Churchill last November at that distance. So these longer distances suit her. I like her at a mile and 70 yards. She's coming off a nearly two-month layoff, and her speed figures have been improving with each start. So I think she has a chance to step forward again here. And she's also going to get... Joel Rosario, who's winning at a 33% rate paired with Steve Asmussen over the last two months. I also was looking at her rail draw. The rail, the rail post is winning at a 21% clip with these race conditions. So I mm. see some good reasons to back perfect shot over West Omaha, who I think maybe will get at an even lower price than two to one by post time. How unusual is it to see the, the inside post, the rail draw winning at a, a high clip like 21%? That's a good number. Yeah, I mean, 
I wouldn't say it's that unusual. Actually, if you look at fairgrounds, especially the rail post seems to be doing really well mm-hmm. in a lot of different distances. So, you know, it depends on the track, but I certainly feel like there's a lot of tracks where you're going to find that higher percentage. And when I see that, it tends to work out well if a, if a horse has a chance already and they get that rail draw. So I'm going to definitely give him a shot there. All right. Number one, perfect shot from the inside post looking to add those 20 points to her credit for a spot in the starting gate in the Kentucky Oaks. We'll see if she can get it done for Steve Asmussen and for Joel Rosario. All right, Ashley, just to recap before we wrap things up, we kicked off the triple play with the fifth at the fairgrounds. You chose number six, Funny Flame, who is nine to two. The seventh race at the fairgrounds, you'll go with number five, Wonderful Justice at 10 to one. And the 10th race, you'll go with number one, Perfect Shot at four to one to win the Silver Bullet Day. Um, I, I was looking, you have some pretty cool promotions coming up and in particular tied to Kentucky Derby Week. Tell me about that promo. So we have a Kentucky Derby Week bankroll builder. And with this promotion right now, we just had pool three of the Kentucky Derby Future Wager open on Friday, and it goes through Sunday at 6 p.m. And at Twin Spires, if you, if you wager on any of the remaining Future Wager pools, there are specific amounts that if you wager them, and they're listed at Twin Spires on the website or the app, during the duration of the remaining wager pools, if you wager, say, $50, you'll get $10 in free money to bet starting on Wednesday, May 1st of Derby Week. And those free bets are eligible through Kentucky Derby Day. So it's a sliding scale. If you wager $100, you get $20 to bet the week of Derby, and it goes all the way up to $1,000, and then you get $200 to wager. So a pretty good deal and a lot of horses to look out for. Certainly with the LeCompte this weekend, we're going to have three-year-olds that potentially could make it into the Derby field. And I also wanted to note we have a product, a free product at Twin Spires. It's our Twin Spires Stable Alerts, and you can add your favorite horses, jockeys, and trainers So you get a notification every time they're running, either with an email, you can update your preferences to get it a day or two days out. Or if you open the app, you'll see a red dot indicating that one of your favorites is running. So a good way to track these horses on the Derby and Oaks Trail because you're going to see some strong runners like Nash and Track Phantom this weekend. Also West Omaha and hopefully a winner in perfect shot too. Yeah, it's a a great promo. Have you found a horse or horses that have caught your eye in the future wagers? Well, so I like it's not it's not an exciting pick to tell you that I like fierceness, but I've been watching that horse for a while now and kind of the joke at <laughs> the joke at work for me is I keep saying to Fade Doorknock, who, you know, is a full brother to Mage who won last year in the Derby. But every time I say to Fade Doorknock, he comes out and runs a great race. So <laughs> yeah. certainly gonna keep an eye on him and <laughs> maybe he's just gonna go all the way and win the Derby now that I keep trying to fade him every single time. I will remember you can play those three races that Ashley just talked about at the fairgrounds today. You can play them all at Twin Spires, and you can follow Ashley on social media, her Twitter handle, at AshleyAnd502, AshleyAnd502. Keep up with her selections and all of her great insight there throughout the week. Ashley, we're going to talk again in a few weeks. Really appreciate the visit here this morning, and good luck at the windows. Thanks. Same to you. All right, Ashley Anderson with this week's Twin Spires triple play when i come back it is time for kurt becker to take you on his weekly stroll through racing history and still to come at 10 30 dale romans tim wilkin will both be here for this week's edition of i ask they answer plenty more ahead stay with me this is the equine forum presented by twin spires on hrrn 
Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs, Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He loved a longer distance of ground and was known for rising to the occasion on the biggest race days. Those qualities helped lead him to an Eclipse Award as outstanding three-year-old male in 1980. His name was Temperance Hill. Fold on March 6, 1977 at Ariscany Farm of breeder Albert Polk Jr. near Lexington, Kentucky, Temperance Hill was a bay colt by Stop the Music out of Sister Shannon by Etonian. His sire was perhaps best remembered for being promoted to the win in the 1972 Champagne Stakes after Secretariat was disqualified for interference in the stretch. John Ed Anthony, owner of an Arkansas lumber company, paid $80,000 for Temperance Hill at the 1978 Keeneland Fall Yearling Sales. Anthony said, quote, We looked at offspring of first crop sires because we could not afford yearlings by Northern Dancer and Najinsky. Stop the Music was a tough racehorse, versatile and sound, and this colt had good bone, perfect conformation, and looked like he would develop into a nice-sized horse that could go a distance and carry weight." End quote. Anthony chose the name Temperance Hill because it was the name of an Arkansas settlement with a country church, and he would drive past it each day on his way from his home to the lumber mill. As for the trainer, Anthony chose South Carolina native Joe Canty, who had trained Cox's Ridge to a grade one triumph for Anthony in the 1978 Metropolitan. After going unplaced in New York in three starts as a two-year-old, Temperance Hill began to blossom the following year when Canty moved him to Oaklawn Park in Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
he would win four of his five starts at the meet, culminating with a victory in the 44th running of the Arkansas Derby before a record crowd of 63,000. But Temperance Hill had not been nominated to the Kentucky Derby. He had yet to win a race at the time the nominations had come due in mid-February, and Churchill Downs did not accept supplemental entries to the event. Instead, the target became the Belmont Stakes, where one could supplement his horse for a fee of $20,000. Facing the Kentucky Derby winner, the Preakness winner, and the reigning juvenile champion, Temperance Hill would go to the post at odds of 53 to 1. Marshall Cassidy with the call. On the outside now, it's Temperance Hill with Codex. Those four now vying for the lead. Rock Hill native on the rail has the lead by a neck. Genuine risk on the outside, moving on the leader. Farther out is Temperance Hill. They're into the stretch three across the track. Genuine risk between horses on the outside. Temperance Hill on the rail. It's Rock Hill Native. Those three continue to fight for the lead. Rock Hill Native on the rail has a narrow lead of ahead. Genuine risk on the outside. Genuine risk now takes the lead by a nose. Temperance Hill is right there. Temperance Hill now takes the lead. It's Temperance Hill, Arkansas Derby winner, taking the lead, going off by two. The Philly Genuine Risk is second, and Rock Hill Native third. Temperance Hill in front. With jockey Eddie Maple aboard, Temperance Hill had become just the third horse in history to win a triple crown race at post-time odds of 50 to 1 or higher. He would go on to win the Travers Stakes at Saratoga, the inaugural Super Derby at Louisiana Downs, and the Jockey Club Gold Cup against older horses, including John Henry, in New York. Temperance Hill joined a firm and spectacular bid at the time as the only thoroughbreds ever to win $1 million or more in a single season. Syndicated for $8 million, Temperance Hill retired to stallion duty after his four-year-old season, standing initially at Gainesway Farm in Lexington, Kentucky, before relocating to Arkansas and eventually to Thailand, where he died at the age of 26 in 2003. Anthony once recalled that his grandfather had told him that it was danged foolishness to own racehorses. But after watching Temperance Hill, his grandpa said, I guess you've done all right. I'm proud of you. Canty, who died recently at the age of 82, received perhaps the greatest tribute at the time Temperance Hill was racing from the Colts breeder, Dr. Albert Polt Jr., who said, quote, Canty has done a marvelous job with Temperance Hill. It really does a lot for the reputation of a market breeder for a good horse to get in the hands of a good trainer, end quote. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Del Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Eclipse Champion Blade, a proven sire with over 15% lifetime stakes horses. And in the sales ring, Blaine continues to prove his value. Now 50, 550, 550,000. I've been up here, 85, Thank you. 310,000 upstairs. His stakes producing daughters include the dam of Eclipse Champion Forte. Forte to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Blaine, standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Rags to Riches is coming with a four-wide sweep, and Tiago is in behind them. And at the top of the stretch, a filly is in front of the Belmont, but Carlin is right there with her. These two in a battle of the sexes in the Belmont Stakes. It is Carlin on the inside, Rags to Riches on the outside. A desperate finish, Rags to Riches and Carlin. They're coming down to the wire. It's going to be very close, and it's going to be a filly in the Belmont. Rags to Riches has beaten Carlin and a hundred years of Belmont history. The first filly to win it in over a century. That's the legendary Tom Durkin with that memorable call of Rags to Riches defeating Curlin in the Test of the Champion. But that historic victory wasn't enough to get her voted into the Hall of Fame last year. Will she and others who were left out last year get their plaque in Saratoga this season? Plus, with Arlington Park closed and Churchill struggling to find firm footing with their new turf course, is it time for Prairie Meadows to install a grass racing service? And how strong will the older horse division be looking ahead to 2024? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu slash equine. All right, well, Dale and Tim are coming at this show from completely different climates. Tim is freezing up in New York. Dale is a bit warmer in South Florida. Timmy, I don't know what you're thinking. I think you need to head down to South Florida, get with Dale at Gulfstream, and we'll do the show live from Gulfstream Park. That's that's a nice idea, but um, our uh, southern friend seems to think that it's pretty cool down there in the old Sunshine State. That's how spoiled I've gotten over the years. At 30 years of being down here, this is the worst weather I've seen in, in 30 years in the winter down here. And everybody agrees with me. It's been overcast and cloudy, but it is 68 degrees, so it's a little better than everywhere else in the country. You still you still got the air conditioner going or not? Oh, yeah, the air conditioner's on, and, and, the, and your bed's made. Come on, I always tell you, come on down. <laughs> you know, one of these days I'm going to show up at your doorstep and you're going to be shocked. Now, come on. You can binge watch 
gun smoke together. Yeah, this show's messing with a good episode. Chester just got hit in the head with some brass knuckles. <laughs> are you are you a Doc fan? Mm, I love Doc. He's good too. I like Chester though. And Miss Kitty, you like her, the bar owner? Oh yeah, she's good. I always thought That's she and Marshall Bill had something going on there, didn't they? Yeah, no, no fooling. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but you know, back in the back in the day, they didn't really talk too much about it. No, you gotta love of, a good madam. A lot of wink, wink. Yeah. Well, Dale, Tim, I was more, they I was both more partial you... to the rifle than myself. That's not bad either. I watched the episode of that last night. Yeah, that was a good show. That was yeah. a good show. Dale and Tim brought the brass knuckles out for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. We're going to dive into it. And our first topic, guys, comes via email from Dennis in California. I know how much you enjoy getting questions from our listeners. With Arlington Park now closed, would it be smart for Prairie Meadows in Iowa to install a nice, lush turf course? Dennis feels that this would create bigger fields and more options for trainers with increased opportunities for shippers. Dale, what say you? Should Prairie Meadows install a turf course? You know, a dice turf course is a good idea for any place, but Prairie Meadows is a unique situation. You know, they're mostly funded by the casino there at the racetrack, and they don't have a whole lot of handle. they got a lot of other issues to deal with, I think, before they worry about the turf course. Love the place. It's a nice little place, and it seems like people should be betting it more. But uh, it's a good idea. So Maybe somewhere down the road it could happen. Good ideas are are great. Whether it comes to fruition is another thing. I mean, I mean Prairie Meadows is it's a unique track. Um, they run thoroughbred and quarter horses there. There's only eighty. Last year they only had eighty race dates, and they go what? I think it's uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And once Arlington closed, I mean that opened the door for Colonial. They got all the Arlington, the big races there for the grass and. You know, it costs a lot of money to put a turf course in. And I don't know if they'd get, uh, if they were to, you know, maybe start off and say, yeah, let's put a turf course in. I mean, the one at Churchill cost $10 million. They wanted, and look at the problems they've had already. Um, I think that uh, it's a noble idea, but I don't think it's practical that um, they would do that in Prairie Meadows. I mean, are they really going to get a lot of shippers out there for grass races there? I know that the big races they have at Prairie Meadows, the uh, Iowa Oaks and the Cornhusker, with Dale won last year with uh, Giant Game, correct? Yes. And, well, um, you know, that. but I just don't know if if, the, if a grass program would work out there. Um, at Colonial, they, 80% of the races they have around grass and and I think the shippers that went to Arlington are going there now. I mean, it's, uh, I just don't think it would work. I think it would work. It's just a matter of would it move the needle enough to make it worth the expense. And, and uh, but they, they, they've got the best chemical company in the world owned by Dennis Allball based right there, chairman of the board of, uh, of Prairie Meadows. And if anybody could grow grass, he could do it. Do they have the room for a turf course, Dale? I think it. I think it's a mile course, so being seven eighths just like Churchill, mm-hmm. they can make it work. But it's like I say, it's very expensive, and you know they need to get their paramutuals paying for itself before they start worrying about expanding anything. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Dennis in California, we thank you for the email. If you have a question or a topic you want Dale and Tim to debate, 
simply send it in to us, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we'll do our best to work it into the show going forward. Topic two. Guys, it was last year at this time that we discussed what appeared to be a lack of strength in the older horse division. Looking ahead, Tim, I'll come to you first. How strong does that division appear to be in 2024? You know, Mike, it's awful hard to predict that in January, what we're going to be seeing with the older horse division. I mean, on paper, it looks like there's some names out there that uh, would be appealing. I mean, today... Uh, they're having the Louisiana Stakes at Fairgrounds, and Saudi Crown, who won the um, Pennsylvania Derby's the favorite in that race, even though he didn't run well in the Breeders' Cup Classic. It might have been too far too soon for him in that one, but you know he could be a player. And also Smile Happy, who's making his um, first start. I think that's the Foster is, is going to be in this race too. Uh, who knows? Hey, Red Route 1, who's been a hard knocker, is in this race. But there's others that... Uh, you know, that's, um, it's a division that can be very intriguing. You know, White Abario, who we, who's, who's going to take a lot of consideration for last year's Horse of the Year is involved, is going to be involved. Where, you know, whether he runs, uh, how much he runs in the U.S., I don't know. But, um, you know, he's, he's heading to Saudi. And, you know, the names like Arabian Knight and National Treasure are running back and, um, Disarm was second in the Travers, hasn't raced since then. He's he's going to be around. So I think there's a potential to be a pretty good group. Well, well whether that happens, we'll see. Yeah, it's a wide barrel division for sure right now. But uh, you're right. It depends on who steps up. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the Pegasus next week and, and how that race unfolds and the race in Louisiana. Um a lot of good op- good opportunities out there for some horses to make names for themselves. You know, every year you see uh, one of those three-year-olds that were just under the radar during the Triple Crown, staying around for four and end up stepping up and being a good horse. And, but there's a lot of interesting horses out there running. But White Barrio's division right now, he's leading the way. And, you know, the uh, older Philly division, older Philly and Mare division might be a little stronger. I mean, if, uh, if that stays together, Emilio Maddox still in training. Goodnight Owl, pretty mischievous, randomized. Nest supposedly is going to be coming back. So um, I think potentially the, the the gals might be stronger than the males, but like Dale said, and I agree with him, Moita Barrio looks to be the class of the division. Another one I forgot was uh, Bright Future, who won the Jackson Club Gold Cup last year for Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, 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 he might be something that uh, improves as he gets older. So, you know, it's always good to have a good older horse division. And a a good um, competitive division is is really good for racing. It gives people uh, the other option rather than just to want to watch the three-year-olds. Yeah, and among the probables for that Pegasus World Cup next weekend, we'll be talking about the Pegasus card on this program a week from now. But horses like Dynamic One and Hoist the Gold, who won the Cigar Mile, maybe National Treasure for Bob Baffert, uh, New York Traffic O'Connor, Skippy Longstocky from the barn of, of Safi Joseph Jr., trademark for Vicky Oliver, uh, First Mission for Brad Cox. Those are horses that are among the probables. But they're not, guys, they're not names that really stand out to you when you start thinking about a really strong older horse division. They're not Holy Bull. They're not Cigar. They're not Gunrunner, right? I mean, they're not Curlin. They're, they're not those kinds of historic names that we've seen over the years. 
But they have a chance well, to be. <clears throat> right. They may you be know, a stork by the end of the year. I mean, they could be, yeah, they, they might just come out of the gate blazing. You know, some of these horses improve so much over a, a season. I mean, and I'm not saying there's a gun runner in there by any means, but there there could be a horse that jumps out and <clears throat> takes the division by the horns and, and becomes, a, a, you know, a, a major, major player. So it, it's important, I think, for the for the fans and the players to really, really keep an eye on how these horses develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this all plays out throughout 2024. So big early season races for the older horse division coming up today and into next week. All right. It is that time of the show where we say hello to our good friend, Nick Zito. And you guys get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah. Right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, Nikki, let's see what they think. Over the past couple of seasons, Churchill Downs has struggled to find consistency with its new turf course, which was installed in 2021, causing the number of turf races to be limited. Senior Director of Communications Darren Rogers recently said that after the fall meet ended, they realized the causation was that the roots were not going deep enough and growing deep enough into the the growing medium. That's the technical description of, of what was going on with that turf course. The problem has seemingly been resolved and and guys i say racing fans and horsemen should be optimistic about the turf course for the upcoming spring meet am i right or wrong on that one what do you think right or wrong dale you're a churchill guy what do you think am i right or wrong yeah we should be optimistic 100 percent uh they you know they, they have spared no expense of course put 10 million on to get it to put it in to begin with but they spared no expense to try to get it right I was up there around Christmas, and I went in. The whole thing was white. They had covered it with this special dirt. I brought these machines in to inject the dirt deeper so the roots could get deeper. Believe me, if it can be fixed, Churchill's going to fix it, and I'm confident that we'll have a nice turf course to run on this spring. Well, I hope that they do. I mean, it's uh, it, it's been certainly frustrating for horsemen and horse players alike that uh, the turf course has been such a mess there. I would hope that uh, the people down there would have given a call to Butch Lear, the old, the, the former uh, track super who I got to know when I was down at Kentucky Downs, and just to get some expertise from him, I think that uh, I mean he does wonders with grass courses. Not saying that Jamie Richardson and his crew don't, don't but uh, it, it's always good to get a second set of eyes on a course, and I think that Butch is a guy that. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to call him the green thumb, but maybe he is the green thumb. I just contradicted myself. But uh, uh, I hope that for everyone's sake, because they poured a lot of money into that. And, you know, you, you want everyone to be safe. You want it to be a competitive, a course that's competitive and fair for everybody else. And I'm hopeful that it is. Hey, Tim, you're right. Butch Lear should be on retainer for every racetrack in America. Best track man of all time. I agree with that 100%. Well, if you guys remember, too, when the turf course was first debuted, the response and the feedback from Horseman was very, very positive. People were really liking it, and then things went south kind of quickly after that. So if they can get it back to where it was when it was first installed and you know, take it to the next level, make it safe, make it, make it uh, consistent, that course is going to be really, really good. It has a nice foundation to it. Yes, it does. And, uh, you know, it was nice when you ran over it, but it just couldn't hold up. It's right. got to be nice for a long period of time. 
All right, we'll bring Nick Zito back into the mix for that segment again next Saturday morning here on I Ask the Answer. But a couple more topics to get to. And this next one, I think this is going to be really interesting, guys, that the Horse Racing Hall of Fame has asked voters to submit up to four candidates to be considered for this year's Hall of Fame ballot, the final Hall of Fame ballot. And these can be any combination of horses, jockeys, and trainers. Last year's finalists that were not elected to the Hall of Fame are automatically going to be presented to the nominating committee for initial consideration. So let's go ahead and start there. Which of the following horses not elected last year are most surprising? You had Blind Luck, Game on Dude, Harvard to Grace, Kona Gold, Lady Eli, and Rags to Riches. Timmy, which of those is most surprising to you? Well, the one that's most surprising to me is Rags to Riches because I've always been I've been on on the hill with Rags to Riches ever since she became eligible. But some people poo poo her record. You know, she only raced seven times. She had five wins though, and remember, she won the Belmont Stakes, one of the the first filly in a hundred some odd years to do it. Granted, a lot of fillies don't try the Belmont. It's only been twenty four of them, but she was phenomenal beating a horse of the year in Curlin, and. For me, I, I, I cannot fathom why Rags to Riches is not in. I would put her in for sure. And the other ones of that group that I think that should be in are, I think Havre de Grasse should be in. She's uh, one of only two fillies that have won to beat the boys in the Woodward. She was a horse of the year in 2011. I mean, Lady Eli, I mean, the just the, the resiliency of that filly alone. I mean, she almost died, and then she came back and, and became – you know, after she stepped on a nail in um, <clears throat> 2015, I think it was, and then came back, it came back and uh, and and and, won her f- and 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 just w- be continued to win. Um, and, and you know, the other one, Kona Gold, I think for me, I think that she's yeah, he's a sprinter, but in, the sprinters don't get a lot of respect. Um, 26. Of his 30 starts, he had over 100 buyer, and he did it for a long time. I mean, he he was a very, very, very fast horse, but he didn't get the respect that I think he should get in, too. So those would be the ones that I think should have a chance to get in the Hall of Fame. All deserve it. First of all, if you're a Philly that wins horse of the year, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care who you are. And if you're a Philly that wins a classic, you should end up in the Hall of Fame. You can knock how many times she started, but Flightline didn't start many times, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Kona Gold, I say it every time we bring him up, he should be in just because he's named after a strain of marijuana. Um, <laughs> it, you know my theory on the Hall of Fame? Put them all in. We know that. They yeah. have to build the Hall of Fame in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, right. I, I well, was surprised. Fine. They're all great horses. They all should be in. I, I don't know how Game on Dude isn't getting more respect for what he did. I, I think that he certainly deserves to be in there. And Timmy mentioned Rags to Riches. I think, yeah, she's another one. Absolutely deserves to be in there and have her plaque in Saratoga. How about on the trainer side? Here are the following trainers not elected last year. Which of those are the most surprising to not get in? Yeah, Christophe Clement, Kieran McLaughlin, uh, Graham Motion, Doug O'Neill, John Sadler, and John Sheriff. Dale? As a, a former trainer, which of those strikes you as most surprising that they wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? I consider every one of them friends. Every one of them should be in there again. I hate to cop out on you, but uh, 
I don't know. You know, Kristoff's had a great – all of them have had great careers. You look at Graham, he's won the Derby, won the Dubai World Cup. Um, all deserving candidates. The problem is it's hard to get in, especially if you put that many people on a ballot and you have to get a certain percentage of the vote. It gets fragmented. I, I think they should look at how they put them in, for one. But I'm going to say put them all in. I'm not going to pick one of my friends out of the group and yes. uh, over the others. Timmy, it's everybody that gets at least – 51% of the vote, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, the the, the group that you, <clears throat> excuse me, the group that you mentioned all deserve it. I mean, yeah. it's uh, I, I mean, it's it's almost like, well, what's the criteria you're looking for? Do you have to win a bunch of derbies? Do you have to be a dominant Breeders' Cup uh, part, uh, winner, winning trainer? Um, I mean, you look at the longevity of the, these guys, uh I mean, all of them are in the top 20, I believe, in, in, in earnings. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, John Sheriffs, God, he trained a great Zenyatta. I mean, he trained uh, Giacomo. Um, you know, he, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and, and he, he, he doesn't – he gets overlooked. I, I just don't understand what the criteria that they think that there should be. Is there a criteria, or is it just uh, – you know, people betting, uh, betting, people just choosing who they think is the best trainer. But is there a criteria that that, that they should be looking at? I don't know, but uh, like all of them have the credentials to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Doug O'Neill's won the Derby twice. Um, he's got five Breeders' Cup wins. Um, what is the is the cutoff point? I mean, it's. It, it behooves me a little bit that uh, some of these guys have waited as long as they've had waited. So I, I, I'll leave it. Do at you that. agree it's the process as much as anything that these guys all uh, steal from each other's votes? And it's, you put that many on a ballot, it's hard to get in. Maybe. I mean, it's uh, it, it didn't used to be like this, how they would do it. Um, maybe there's too many people on the ballot. Um <laughs> Again, it's above my my pay grade, but uh, I don't know how they, why there's so many that they, they put on put on it, and you know someone's going to be left out if that's the case. Yeah. How about how about some potential new candidates coming up this year? You have Jockey Joel Rosario, who is going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame for the first time in 2024, and then our old friend Perry Utes, fifth all time in wins with 7,419. To me, I think Joel is is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Perry Utes, I think, should be in, but he's kind of, you know, that big fish in a small pond kind of uh, uh, kind of guy where he's just had so much success, but he hasn't had it on the big stage. But man, you win seven thousand four hundred nineteen races as a jockey. I think you're a Hall of Famer. What do you guys think? I agree. And then you got to think about a guy like David Gall, and there's others out there that did it on the smaller circuits. Dale Beard. Uh, second all-time now that Steve Asmussen is from trainers. But I, I personally think those guys should be in. But you say I'm too lenient on the call. So. Yeah, I, I mean, with Perry's case, you know, the thing that hurts him is, like, again, he's he, not on the big circuit. And, yep. you know, and that's not his fault. I mean, he – I mean, I, I don't know. Could he have gone and, and, and been successful somewhere else? Maybe he didn't want to go somewhere else. But he's done it for a long time. In, in the same places and you know there's a hall of fame career it says hall of fame career 
He's done it his whole career. I mean, Richard Migliore, I've been on his soapbox before. He belongs in the Hall of Fame, if you ask me. I mean, he's a leading rider in 12 different meets in New York. And, you know, yeah, he doesn't have a triple crown win. Is that what keeps him out? But he had a Hall of Fame career because he did it day in and day out. Um, he, he, he had over I mean, almost 100, I think, just shy of 180 graded stakes wins. He was, the, he was the apprentice. He won the Apprentice Eclipse Award. I mean, this is—he's a guy that I think deserves to be in. Um, I just don't understand the again the criteria. What what do you have to do to be in the Hall of Fame? Do you have to win the Derby twenty times? Do you have to uh, do you have to uh, you know be a Breeders' Cup uh, champion every every year and? Yeah, it's, um, it's not black and white, Timmy. It's not cut and dry like that. It's very subjective when you're going through and looking at the resumes of those that are presented. It's a career. Like, again, it's a career. What did you do during your career? Yeah. And a yeah. lot of these guys that are not in, that should be in, had phenomenal careers. Nolan Ryan's in, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He never won the World Series. Yeah, I mean, that's I it. No, do you, do you, do you no, say that you have to win a triple crown sorry, race or a Breeders' Cup race? I'm sorry. Nolan Ryan, I think, won the World Series with the Mets in 69. Sorry about that. Yep. But you know what I'm saying. Yep. Well, I think Dale Romans is deserved being on the ballot, too. And when you look at the trainers that are not on the ballot, at least not yet, Mike Maker, Scott Lake, Tom Amos, Ken McPeak, and Dale Romans are names that pop into the to the top standings list when you're scrolling through and uh dale I, I think we should nominate you for the hall of fame well i would take it i'd give a good speech it'd be entertaining <laughs> the one thing about all those names you mentioned right of the ones that are that are that you just mentioned which one of them has an eclipse award mm-hmm. i'm probably yeah. the only eclipse award winning trainer that's eligible for the hall of fame that's not in there uh, you may be and another yeah. name I always want to throw out there, I think Barkley Tag should get some consideration. Definitely. I mean, yeah. definitely should. He's he's uh, one of the very few trainers that has won each Triple Crown race. And if that's a criteria, he should be in. Yes, he should. Yep, I agree with you. I think Barkley definitely needs to be uh, be on the ballot somewhere. All right, guys, let's uh, wrap this one up. We're down to about the final two and a half minutes. It's time for Dale and Tim to end the show the way we do every week by making their final point of the week. Timmy, I'll come to you first this week. What is your final point on this Saturday morning? Well, we have the Eclipse Awards this week, and I'm going to say that I think that the biggest slam dunk in the Eclipse Awards is going to be Irad Ortiz winning for the jockey. And I think the closest race is going to be for Horse of the Year, and I think Cody's wish is going to edge out White Barrio with idiomatic third. Mm. I'm going to say I'm going to the Eclipse Awards this year for the first time since I've won the Eclipse in 2013. But nice. uh, so yeah, it'll be fun. It, should, it might be entertaining, so everybody should tune in and watch, see what kind of fireworks go off. And uh, last thing I want to say is Chester was fine. Matt Dillon came in and saved the day like Tim does every week. <laughs> 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 I love it. Dale Romans, the Gunsmoke Master. Uh, fantastic stuff. Guys, appreciate it. Dale, Tim, enjoy the weekend. We're going to do it all over again next weekend. And good luck at the windows. All right. Dale, thanks, you take, care of Dodge, you take care of Dodge City for us. 
<laughs> Got it covered. Headed to, headed to Miss Kitty's. <laughs> All right, if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to us, Mike at horseracingradio.net. We'll get it worked into the show. I Ask the Answer is presented every week by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom and when they come home. I had just come home from serving over in Germany. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. I was paralyzed. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America, because they've kept their promise to never leave a fallen soldier behind. A roof over the heads, accessible homes, cars, jobs, benefits. PBA has brought me back to life. Show them their sacrifice hasn't been in vain. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Dear Vet Ticks, it was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, Vet Ticks. Dear Vet Ticks, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vet Ticks. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, game, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to Vet Ticks, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience. Give the memory. Vetex. Give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vettix.org. HRRN is live online. Go to our website at horseracingradio.net to stream all of our broadcasts live or listen to the show archives anytime. Read our blogs, get the latest news, and see our entire broadcast schedule. It's all there at horseracingradio.net. And follow us on Twitter at HRRN and like our page on Facebook. Search Apple Podcasts for HRRN and download our latest shows. HRRN is home to racing's biggest events, and our home on the web is at horseracingradio.net. Radio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Honeyside has a narrow lead. Bobby Frankel's Derby do up. He swells to his inside. Empire Maker is giving it all. Honeyside trying to pull it. The upset here. 12 to 1 coming down to the line. And the gutsy galloping Honeyside has won the 129th Kentucky Derby. With a quarter to go at Pimlico. Funny side has taken over and taken command in the pre- 
Can't Love That Selection or That Recommendation Enough by Tim Wilkin in the previous segment, talking about Barkley Tag being nominated to the Hall of Fame, Funny Side winning the Derby and the Preakness in 2003. 17 years later, Barkley completed his own triple crown with Tis the Law taking the Belmont Stakes in 2020. So 1,617 career victories, a multitude of other great stakes to his credit. I think that's a fantastic call on the part of Tim Wilkin. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll see if he makes it onto a ballot here. He, he certainly is very deserving, in my opinion. Don't forget, there is still time to take advantage of the Blood Horse Magazine winter special offer. Right now, you can subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries premier monthly magazine, and you're going to receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar, which is a $24.95 value, and you're going to get it absolutely free. Go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN today and take advantage of this special offer. Yeah, you win 1,600 races and all the greatest stakes races that Barkley has put together and has on that tremendous resume. And then win each leg of the Triple Crown, and that, not just with one horse, but with two different horses. And don't forget, he was second in the Kentucky Derby with Tis the Law, too, in 2020 when it was the COVID year and things were delayed a little bit. Didn't matter. Interesting stuff there. Um, if you missed any portion of the show, head to our website, Horse Racing Radio. .net to check out the podcast whenever you have some time. My thanks to all of our guests for making the show possible, including Ashley Anderson with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play, Kurt Becker with our Stroll Through Racing History, and Dale and Tim in the previous segment. Again, it's horseracingradio.net for the podcast and every major podcast platform. For my producer, Lee Delapina in our Lexington studios, I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. Hey, Whatever. Go Steelers.